Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I don't like blood and guts. But I love them when they're lengthily discussed. I've been anticipating this season the most since maybe the Halloween season. Wow. And we love the Halloween season. The this actual season <laughs> and the season of podcasts for this, the show with Gorley and Rust. Hello. Hi, Matt. Hi, Paul. How are you? I am uh, I'm very well. How are you? I'm real good. Yeah. I'm real good. Yeah. You know what's funny when you asked me how I was? I was gonna I wanted to say I'm I'm good. And then I was like, maybe I should say I'm very well. Oh. But then like two minds in lockstep when I asked you how you said how you are, you said I'm good. <laughs> real good. <laughs> I'm very well. Real very well. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the season of yuppie nightmares eight yes. films four of which were chosen by each of us mm-hmm. in this this podcast where we talk at length easy listen cozy style about horrors and thrillers yes imagine our podcasts our conversations uh on the podcast as a a country road mm. That a nice late 80s expensive luxury sedan driving down that road. Perhaps a Volvo station wagon. Yes. So, uh, uh, and then some fall foliage falling around that while you're on your way to the country cottage that you bought uh, to get it away from uh, a psycho. (laughs) But, uh, uh, but yeah, so our, our podcast is really that drive that, that like eight seconds that you see the car turn the corner mm. when they're going to their cottage. That's kind of where we're going to exist. Yeah. Here. That's a, that's a great way to say it. And we might be having some new listeners because this is a slightly different tone of movie mm-hmm. than we've covered so far. Yeah. And um, I'm thrilled about it. I'll just say yesterday, yeah. 
And this is also one that my wife is going to watch along mm-hmm. every movie. So it means nighttime watches instead yes. of afternoon watches by myself, tucked away in the bedroom, let's say. <laughs> the baby's down yesterday. It's it's late September, back in 63. <laughs> no. <laughs> President's still alive. I'm talking Kennedy. Um, so it's still hot here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. But yesterday, mm-hmm. stopped by Trader Joe's and picked up. I shouldn't say two six packs, one six pack and one five pack. We didn't realize till we got home someone had taken one of Trader Joe's pumpkin spiders. And also, my daughter took four steps yesterday. I think you're going to say four sips. <laughs> she took, she's the one that took that extra one. <laughs> and then to watch. Wait, hold on. Yeah. She took four steps yesterday. Yeah, from daddy to mommy. Ooh, I'm tearing up. That's beautiful. Oh. I'm so happy for you and proud of Glenn. Thank you. We were at the South Pasadena Library, which <gasps> is surrounded by a big, like, shady tree park, kind of, like <gasps> mini park. And she met this little boy named Takumi who was walking all mm-hmm. over the place. And you could just see in her eyes, because she stood up all the time. But this was the first time she was like, I want to do that. And she was trying and trying. And then we got home and she just landed it. Oh, so she like observed uh, at the library. And then when you came home, it was like, uh, hey, not the first to go to the library and then apply what they learn <laughs> there at home. I should mention knowledge. We, we read a full book on walking there. <laughs> uh, walking for dummies. <laughs> we read and a baby's like, I can't even read that. <laughs> How do you expect me to? Because <laughs> you're a dummy. We read the novelization Choose Your Own Adventure series of Walker, Texas Ranger. And she just... <laughs> I always thought it was a misstep that uh, a movie did that TV show didn't star Christopher Walken. Yeah, no kidding. Big big miss walk yeah. misstep. <laughs> uh, you know when you're saying uh, yes, welcome all newcomers and yeah. uh, uh, welcome back, uh, previous listeners. Um, you know you're saying oh this is a different tone. Um, I was thinking that uh, I bet for for a lot of folks when. Fatal Attraction first hit the scene. Mm. It was the first time they're seeing stuff like Savini, Tom Savini level gore oh. with like her wrists yeah. slit or a De Palma level type scare from Carrie or Dressed to Kill with her coming out of the bathtub at the end. Like, um, mm. I have a theory, Matthew. Give it to me. Paramount Pictures, 1987. Uh This is a transitional time for movies, for America. John Hughes, he's pumping out teen movies every year. Yeah. Since uh, essentially vacation when he wrote that in 83. By the way, two of Eddie, Cousin Eddie's daughters are in this movie. What? What? Just just put a pin Ooh. in it. We'll open tabs. I want you to finish. <gasps> I want you to finish. <laughs> I want to know that. Okay. F this tab. No, no. All tabs will be closed and thoroughly read. So um, he's making, he's cranking out teen movies. Uh, 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 the ones he wrote and directed, 16 Candles. Yeah. Uh, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 87, he wanted She's Having a Baby mm. to come out before Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And he's on the record saying, because he was like, my audience by this point will have aged at the perfect moment oh. where they want to watch a movie about a guy, two people getting married, moving to the suburbs and having a kid. Because that's what they're going to be either going through or about to go through is on their mind. And he didn't like that they had to keep that re-editing that. So Planes, Trains, and Automobiles actually came out first before that, because if you look at it, it's like, oh, the timeline follows. It's like, he's married, and then in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, he has a wife and kids he's trying to get to. Anyway, in 1987, Paramount is like holding this thing of like, no, teen audiences aren't, that youth market isn't there anymore. They're growing older. Wow, they aged fast. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I yeah, like it, it has to be some acceptance of like they're not interested in high school stories anymore because yes. they're certainly not high schoolers. So it's like that thing of like when I was in fourth grade, I watched Say by the Bell because it was just a few years ahead yes. and it was tantalizing. Right. So like whatever is going on maybe in people's minds, but it's like, um, so that's existing at Paramount in 1987. The okay. other thing, they've been pumping out Friday the 13th movies every year since 1980. From part one to part six has been like 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86. 87 is the only year that there is no Friday the 13th movie on the books. It picks back up 88 and 89. I'm just saying Fatal Attraction was like a slick 80s Hollywood system being like, let's use all these tricks of yeah. fucking slasher movies. When she's following Michael Douglas out of the city and follows him to his house and looks through the window at the family, <laughs> that is a Halloween scene. That's a scene from the music, the coloring, the vibe. Uh so it's like, okay, teen audiences are out, they're growing up, but they still love Friday the 13th movies. Right. What delivery system can we give them? Let's give them a class actors, a filmmaker who makes a movie where every scene looks like a fucking jeans commercial or cologne <laughs> or high-end beer. It just is gorgeous. Like, um, that is to say, finally, Matt, if people are coming to us new and they're like, Friday the 13th movies were never my bag yeah. or slasher movies were never my bag. I always hated Chucky or people being like, I love Friday the 13th movies. I love the Chuckies. Well, this is where the yuppie nightmare opens all doors oh, to God. everybody and says, come on in. Is this not the perfect blend of legit drama and genre yes it's dude, such right a, on i was so pleased with this movie it's prestige the yeah, acting yeah. is yes drama it is like the work of actual drama that you would see in i mean i think the producer made ordinary people <sighs> and even that last shot of like a family in a frame on a thing it's like ordinary people it's just like what if it was wasn't boring <laughs> <laughs> like Instead of them slashing their wrists out of teen suicide, it's because... He's still getting that in every movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. I mean, I hadn't seen this movie since 
I think since it first hit home video, I didn't Fun. see it in the theater. So I saw it at home, but I don't think I'd seen it since. Amanda had never seen it. So she didn't even know things like the rabbit. Oh my God. That yeah. was exciting. Can I guess that if you maybe forgot this, I would have when I first watched it to the next time I watched it, not this time. Yeah. Um, but uh, when he walked in and she was sitting in the living room, oh. Glenn, when Alex was sitting in the yeah. living room with his wife, that had to be like, oh, oh shit, right? I, I was like, oh, I was relishing and people getting to see this for the first time and be like, that had to be a fucking, yeah. Anyway. I did remember that, but I, what I did oh, not right remember on. was her slitting her wrists the, the same weekend she met him and the last time i've watched it probably like a few times since this last time we watched it recently i just like hooked back into fatal attraction over the last few years um but when i got back on board after a long drought of not watching it that was the scene that like really knocked me out because it's really unexpected oh and the way they reveal it yeah I, i think the script and the direction in this movie are really good Yes. Not to mention the acting too. I mean, it's it's really hitting, firing on all cylinders. It is every department at its peak. Exactly. Firing on all cylinders and this bottle of a movie is like containing all that. Nicholas Myers, Nick Myers, I think rewrote, uh, did script work. Mm. And so I think that's, he did, uh, people, I mean, love his screenwriting. He is what essentially saved the Star Trek film franchise with uh, Ratha Khan. He wrote Ratha oh, Khan. Interesting. Um, and uh, and then directed, wrote and directed part six. But he's just a- One per- of my favorites. Yeah, he's just a person you go to if you want a solid script. And so, yeah, he's writing this like really amazing thing that is would be difficult to uh, F up. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. Oh my God. The craftsmanship of the, there is no, it's the thing that I know we're going to lose with all of the next movies we watch is it won't be, it'll be sloppy. Everything will be compared to in comparison, seem sloppy. And not only that, that they will, we will be missing this movie, but the movies themselves will be trying to be this movie without putting in the real work. Probably they'll be taking a lot of the shortcuts and things, which just happens in a genre. It does. It becomes all genre where this is a movie that didn't know it was a genre, you know, when it creates a genre. Exactly. Yeah. And the, like the thing I thought about exactly what you said about they'll make moves in these later movies that, um, didn't work as well as in this one or something is I feel like in a lot of the um, subsequent thrillers, yuppie nightmares, the last half hour, 40 minutes, something around there, like somebody, the main protagonist makes a decision that you're like too wild too create. You're make, uh, you're weird now. How like the, the, the direction you're taking this in. And that is the moment when he's like, we got to get to the country. We got to get out of the city. We got to move to the house and get away from her. But what makes it work is that they've been setting up that she wants the house yeah. and he doesn't want the house. And then he finally says, we can get the house after he has an affair and he feels guilty. The house has become such a thing that that like move that in a normal sloppy movie would be like, what's happening now? Right. This seems so frantic Him moving the country. 
There's going to be a hundred times like that. There will be like somebody being like, I have to get a plane ticket to go to Miami and find their sister. Like what? I need to go live in a bank vault in the beneath the desert in Nevada. Don't Uh, ask me why. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, these are our nutshell thoughts. Let's uh, say, especially to any new visitors here that if already, if you're just finding yourself in a, cozy blanket of podcasts but also warmth. wondering about that tab about uh uncle uh, it's about- coming okay, okay it's coming uh you can get more at <laughs> patreon.com slash with gorley and russ where we do mm-hmm. feature length film commentaries mailbag episodes awards based just on what films are the coziest and tournaments about which films are the coziest. Yeah. And we had a recent uh, fun bonus episode where we selected the eight movies we're going to be watching for the Yuppie Nightmare series. That's exactly right. And the cozy awards will be coming out, I believe next week. If I'm I'm recalling it correctly. Um, And if you subscribe at the highest level, which is the baby Xenomorph level, you get your name read. Now, because we've been away a while, there's more than usual. So we'll save that for the end of this episode. Um, But to close this tab. Yes. Did you notice Jane Krakowski's the babysitter in the beginning? She doesn't have a line. She just walks down the hall. That's her. And you know who she's babysitting? Ruby from Christmas Vacation. What? <laughs> yes, cousin Eddie's daughter, who has a lip fungus. No, that's Rocky. She get her eyes were kicked. Wait, she was wait, kicked by how? Isn't that Ellen? Their kid? No. Who, whose kid is that? What? <laughs> in the first vacation? <laughs> no, no, no. In in Fatal Attraction, who's yeah? Who's character? Ellen. Oh, I thought you meant Ellen Griswold. <laughs> Ellen is Ruby from Christmas Vacation. What? <laughs> yes, she is. That face matches. Oh my God. Yeah. Matt, that tab blew my mind. Uh, your tabs blew my mind. Hey man, come here for the best tabs. Tell your friends. Usually it's a tab of acid that blows my mind, but yeah, it's a man. tab about the Griswold kids. <laughs> that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if people can hear, too, the beautiful cooing of uh, your daughter. I think she wants to come in. But, um... Hi. Hello. Hi Hi there. Hi. Uh Oh. Oh. Hi, buddy. (laughs) Hi, buddy. What if she was like, I did know that she was the, uh, from uh, Christmas Vacation. Hi, Glenn. Marty, what did you think of uh, Fatal Attraction? I really liked it. And I was shocked. I had just always assumed I had seen it, but I actually had never seen it. Um, I was saying, like, uh, I envied people who got to see for the first time. Uh When he walks in and she's sitting right there in the house already talking to his wife. Yeah. Oh, my God. Glenn, hi there. Yeah, smile. Hi. I'm president Hi. of the Hi. Smile Society. Bye-bye. Yeah. Okay, Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Uh, I was saying it's uh, apropos. What a cutie. Oh, my gosh. You are blessed, man. Oh, you are blessed. You're sweet. Um, I was going to... Uh, um, somebody uh, on the uh, Patreon pointed out that Yuppie Nightmare, in, in terms of coziness these are stories about people who didn't have 
full took took cozy for granted. Yes. And, and I was like, that and is they a pay perf- for it. They pay for taking it is a big crime to take cozy for granted. It is. And if you have if you lead a life of cozy privilege, you don't appreciate it until mm-hmm. it's gone. Yep. And there's nothing more heartbreaking than losing your cos. Yes, my man. Yes. <laughs> yes, my man. Totally. The whole time Amanda and I were watching this going like, why would you, you have Ann Archer and Ruby from Christmas Vacation. I was saying that too. And I didn't even know that fact yet. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, 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 but that, so I have to imagine, Matt, also us circling in these movies is because, hey, when we're watching that movie, we're also husbands and fathers yeah. with a, a wife and a child, a daughter. Right. We're the opening scene of this movie where the three of them are all wearing see-through white t-shirts of some kind and no bottoms. Yes. What's going on in the oh opening my God, of this movie? You're right. All three of them. Because that's cozy and they know it. It's also a little too sexy. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 oh, but let us say... Matt. Yes. We don't take cozy for granted. That's what this whole podcast is about is pumping the brakes and saying, let's not focus on the slit wrists. Let's focus on that. Everybody is wearing matching clothes. That first scene. Um, Yeah. The, the cozy factor. Yes. Somebody in that, the three of them should be putting pants on (laughs) each other. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> have a little circle putting pants on. It is just funny that he's doing legal work in a full dress shirt, but then just briefs. There's something I like about it because a family gets comfortable and mm-hmm. it in a way shows their how they're t- taking each other for granted, not in a bad way, but like they're so comfortable they've forgotten the context of... Intimacy is like a given. You're walking yeah. around. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you ever wear your dad's white t-shirt like that as a kid? Oh my God. I All mean, the time. there's a... Yes. I mean, that's what I think is the most cozy thing. And I don't, I don't think... Is it in this scene with the long... Um, when a kid wears at bedtime, like after your bath time... My favorite period when I was like five to seven was the period after a bath where I get to come back out and wear a big long shirt and I sit down and I watch, I get like to watch an hour of TV and maybe eat a bowl of ice cream. And my sisters and I, I have two older sisters, they would come down wearing big long shirts. We would take the big long shirts over our knees down to the edges of our toes and you'd kind of like either stretch out the shirt with your knees or make a really funny Dolly Parton joke. Uh, <laughs> there's not such thing as an unfunny Dolly Parton joke in that <laughs> That's context. right. It's uh, redundant to say. Um, but uh, Did you ever like cinch it at the waist and you'd have your, I would fold it over yes. with a crease and be a Luke Skywalker oh, shirt. That's good. Uh, or even just tying a knot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all of that, that opening, yeah, is really cozy because it's like, uh, uh, um, it's like, I think it's the Saturday, Friday, Friday night before they're going to go out for this book party. That's right. And there is a cozy excitement in the air when... 
either from the child's perspective or a parent's perspective, the like hour before your before the parents are going to go out for the night when like. Okay, this movie was supposed to be made by Brian De Palma I and know. he changed. And uh, I'm happy. I love Brian De Palma, but Brian De Palma just isn't interested in like verisimilitude no. and like making this no. such a lived in world. But that opening, Matt, when they're having a conversation while she's getting ready in the bathroom and the phone rings and when he walks over, he stubs his toe. Yeah. And then they have to kind of talk about him answering the phone and stubbing his toe at the same time. Uh, what documentary am I watching? I know, but it's also just like what nest indoor. We always camera. say it, but can't this be the whole movie? I know. Well, I want a, a super cut of this movie where it's that, and you just put all the Alex stuff. So after he's done the deed and transgressed and he's acting so sweet to them, do that, but without any allusions to the fact that he's cheated or that there's a stalker. <laughs> and it's just maybe 30 minutes of domestic bliss where one family already loves each other so much and then just decides to move the country to get away to be with each other. <laughs> I know. I love that part when they decide to go to the country because it becomes full on geography location porn <laughs> where it's like a beautiful forest, literal picket fence with a huge backyard to anirondack chairs perched yeah. at the base of this beautiful tree. Yeah. Um, and it is funny that it's like to the family at that moment for his wife and child, this is bliss. And I actually wrote down when I was watching, I was like, this is the coziest it'll get for this family at this moment oh, from yeah. here on the, this point forward. They'll never get back to pure coziness. I know. Um, but the, uh, um, when, uh, 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 so yeah, so yeah, when that uh, gets invaded with somebody in a big black leather jacket, look out. <laughs> and professional wrestler hair. God, well, what's beautiful about this movie is like, you know, it does have this like classic, whatever Hitchcock thing of the blonde versus the brunette. Yeah. <laughs> but the 87, 1987 twist is like, I'm sure they're both permed. Okay. <laughs> per permed blonde versus permed brunette. And like when well, one she's will like, be a, a, a frizz crimp while the other's uh, a tight yes, pin curl. Yes. Pun. Yeah. Uh, and like when she's like, I have pizza I have, or I have made spaghetti for you at home and he doesn't eat hers, but he goes and she makes pasta sauce for them. Yeah. And it's like, no, you eat brown perms pasta, <laughs> not blonde perms pasta. <laughs> I'm sure somebody screamed that on the opening night of this movie. No, you eat brown perms pasta. If you love brown I perms pasta. Scream real, real loud. And when you go into this, just like Freddy versus Jason, you have to pick a, a side of the aisle like a wedding. And do you sit in brown perms family side <laughs> or blonde perms family side? Well, to speak to what you and Amanda were talking about, which is like, dude, you are blowing it. What are you doing here? You got Ann Archer and a, a child. Uh, they both adore you. Ann Archer is adorable. Ann, what a fine actress. Yeah. That yeah. scene when she is told um, about the affair, mm -hmm. 
uh, this is maybe an overused, but just like a true masterclass yeah. in acting. It's really incredible because she has to get two doozies. She hears, <laughs> she hears that he had an affair and then she hears that she's pregnant. Yes. And so she's responding to both of those things truly. And it's what all of them are. I mean, it's what I've said about Douglas that he's so gifted about. No words. You just see in his eyes what he's going through. Her too. Glenn Close too. Like yeah. they all... I mean, it's so funny. Like, Glenn Close has, her character has such a set of crazy eyes. Oh, they're amazing. That it's such a red flag for any other human being watching I this movie. When they're sitting down and they're having that lunch before they have uh, the affair starts. And she's like, I can be discreet. <laughs> it's like, fool, run away. You no, can't even no. say discreet discreetly. I, yes. This is also because I, I, I mean no slant on Glenn Close. She kind of took a, for me, a Pacino path of becoming slight self-parody. Mm-hmm. But this was prior to that. She's so good in this movie. Yeah, her best, her best Ooh. performance. Um, yeah, I usually... Um, and don't oh. get me wrong, I love Albert Nobbs, but... <laughs> Glenn Close is obviously uh, a great actor she can also be a great teen actor no it's just like there's some um it it, her playing um i I don't mean like oh it's perfect typecasting but it's just like um well like like uh uh uh, john lithgow is plays a certain role yeah kind of a male version of this in many ways i can tell glenn close is regardless of what she says this in interviews and when she talks about the character, but I would know watching the movie, this is somebody who does not think Alex is a psycho. Mm -hmm. Like she's playing Alex as if I'm being, I think I'm being reasonable right now. How else could you do it? Yeah. And so it is really what I love about those performances is that I see somebody having like, affection for people in a way. And like the fact that she, um, there is a point in the movie where you go, Alex's approach is wrong, but her feelings are reasonable. And like, so the fact that like Glenn Close has that stuff to work with when you're watching the movie is really effective. Like, yeah. And this is an era before sensitivity to mental illness was ever a thing because it was just so Correct. easy yeah. to stereotype the quote crazy bitch. Yeah. And the fact that they never say the B word in this movie. Yeah. Like yeah. he doesn't say it when he's strangling her. She doesn't say it. <laughs> Thank when God he had some respect. He does, she doesn't say it before she shoots her uh, at the end. Like those could all be like applause, big yeah, applause lines. That's a good point. Or when she's on the phone and she says, if you ever come near my family, uh, God damn it. This is one of those movies that I so wish I had been in the theater for. I know, me too. People were probably bouncing off the walls at the end with that bathtub scene. Oh. Uh, should we just, uh, I know we're jumping over a little bit. Should we talk about the deleted alternate ending? Yeah, so there's Brantley, our our lovely researcher. Brantley Palmer. Sent us the alternate ending, also some rehearsal footage that, the story was that they did not want Glenn Close for this movie. And there was a just laundry list of all the usual suspects you would think in here. And her manager, who asked for them to take a look at Glenn Close, they said no. And he finally got her in. And once they got her in the room with Michael Douglas, 
it was a done deal. And you can basically see, I think, some of that rehearsal footage. I don't think it's the audition footage, but it's yeah, the same that's idea. Rad. Yeah, because they're expecting, they, in their minds, it's like a Kathleen Turner that should be playing this role. Like a, a yeah, of sultry, sultry siren, femme fatale. Yeah. Who immediately you go, well, of course that dude would hit that, which, like, yeah. what's really kind of a. Beautiful. Those initial scenes between their characters, Daniel and and Alex, are like, it's exactly what you were saying. Like, you can pull scenes out and they could be a different movie. Like, all of that is like, not just legit romance of like, they're horny for each other. You do see two people finding each other in a way that like, when he says that thing about like, oh, one of the only times I ever felt comforted by my dad was, it's crazy. was that, but. Madam Butterfly. And then you see in her eyes, find like, <laughs> I understand this guy. Yeah. I oh, got my hooks into him. He's vulnerable. He's vulnerable. And I, I got his number, but also what a turn on. I'm with a guy who's like, can talk about this shit. Especially in the eighties. Yeah. yeah. And also his damage. I'm, she's got damage. Yeah. So you do see two damaged people like falling for each other. And he says, maybe if I hadn't been, Married, we could have, you know. But he I, says it so flippantly, but know. you know, she's just like. Ooh. Everything he says, all those bromide, uh, um, what are, how do you pronounce that? Bro- bromide? The, yeah. yeah. Uh, of like, maybe if we'd met another time, it just doesn't work because you can tell she's already had that conversation yes. in her brain a hundred times and dismissed that as bullshit. Like yeah. you're finally saying this bullshit now. Yeah. Um, the thing I like about the, there's a scene in the movie where they're like, when she's like, no strings attached. Mm. I got two tickets. We go just to prove that it never meant anything that we can just be friends. Discreet. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, he's put in the position of being like, I know there are strings attached. Yeah. I have to just say no to this and be responsible because I've been very irresponsible so far with this person and their feelings. Um, when I watched that scene, Matt, I thought to myself, and I'm curious how you feel. I'm like, what's effective about fatal attraction? They're both extremes. But I, in that scene, I've been both of those people where I've been the Michael Douglas where you're like, I'm with somebody who's a little needy and they don't have boundaries. So it's on me to establish boundaries and I'm not good at that. This is fucking hard to say no to this person right now because I see they're being vulnerable and they want to just, they're being kind. Yeah. Two tickets. Yeah. But I got to say no. But the pain she feels when I've been there, I've been in the like, I still pining for an ex I'm coming with ulterior motives of being like, why don't we just go see a movie together? Like friends. <laughs> and they pick up on that vibe and they're like, I don't no, see how I can't. I, and um, like I said, they're both extremes, but this is just ancient feelings that people deal with. Oh, so it's, it's just the, it's the worst curse because they never meet in the middle. And that's that. Yeah. That I, I've been certainly, in the Michael Douglas position, which is not to say I haven't been in the Glenn Close, and I'll tell you why. It's not to say that I haven't been the needy one. It's that I'm so, I think, self-protective mm-hmm. that I wouldn't even put myself out to be 
hey, the rock feels like no that, pain. You know, an island never cries. I'm sure there are plenty, plenty of circumstances where I could have done that and gotten rejected. But I think I have such a, mm-hmm. a, like, yeah, portcullis or something to keep me from doing that for fear of that kind of rejection. But that's also probably what keeps me being a little crazy too. Not to call that crazy, but no, the, I, you know I, what I mean, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's a. Uh, uh, the instinct, instinct for human preservation, I think, is oh, it's, it's good. A prevailing instinct. Here's why I love the casting of this, because speaking mm-hmm. about that dynamic, yes. I think the reason my conjecture is the reason why they didn't want someone like Glenn Close and would have wanted, you know, probably a Rachel Ward, mm-hmm. you know, quote, sex pot or something is because studio execs are probably thinking, we've got to see him leave his sweet wife for a sex pot, you know, like mm-hmm. this, this uh, Raquel Welch said every mm-hmm. man, blah, blah, blah. But that's not how this kind of things work. You see it time and time again, that mm-hmm. Hugh Grant with Elizabeth Hurley, or, you know, a man often has an affair with someone who he perceives. And this is why I love that scene at the bar where he can almost kind of like as a predator feel damaged goods and feel there's a straight line to get to this woman. There's no mm-hmm. hassle, no hoops to jump through. Mm-hmm. They don't think of the consequences. They just go, this is going to be easy because it's an affair, right? He's just yeah. going to have an affair. Yeah. He doesn't want a romance. He mm-hmm. wants this kind of quick and easy thing. And so to me, I find that so believable and their mm-hmm. whole little, it's not a meat cute. It's like a meat, uh, meat, Sleaze cute. Meat sleaze. Yeah. Meat, <laughs> meat sleaze. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so believable and it happens yeah. so quick, but the script is so good at just the kind of like ticking those incremental moments where they both reciprocate just enough Yeah, where the, it's like Michael Douglas isn't going there with the intention of an affair. He's going there with the intention to flirt and then go to yeah. the next level, the next <laughs> level. And then finally it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. The and incremental thing, yeah. dude, is what I think is like the most... Astonishing thing about this movie is it's like clockwork escalation. Oh yeah. Every seven to ten minutes, <laughs> it's like I'm okay, she shows up at work. Okay. She says, I love you. She says, I'm pregnant. Ha. <laughs> shows up at my house with my wife. <laughs> Like, and then, uh, 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 yeah, by the end, she's kidnapped my child. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, th- I never thought about how the increments exist even in their initial seduction. But that's what you have to learn, or at least I did. And I think a lot of people do, especially people like Mark, Michael Douglas's character who got mm-hmm. married, presumably pretty young ish. Mm-hmm. That when I was younger, and I never, cheating on anybody, but I did have like what you'd call emotional affairs and stuff like that, because you will allow yourself to flirt because there's no danger. I'm not technically cheating. And, and then you, once you mature, you realize, oh, you can't do that. That's the path. That's, Mm -hmm. that's when it begins. You can't go down that path because it's Mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. dangerous. So you Mm kind of have to just, you don't go to coffee with her in the rain in the first place you tell me <laughs> yes yeah yeah um exactly i mean I, I yes i haven't um ever cheated on a partner either and i risk saying this because i fear sounding sort of like 
a judgmental uh, oh, like, yeah. prig. Me either. Uh, in the same way that like before I drank alcohol, I was like, Ugh, such such vulgar people oh, drinking no. alcohol. I don't want to sound sanctimonious either because not only did I- Oh, I didn't you know, think you did at all. But I, I feel also- I was no angel too. I was, I had my selfish periods and stuff like that. Dude, you were being totally all cards on the table. I was impressed. Okay. Like, uh, no, I, no, no, no. Yeah. I You're just, showing all, all your feelings. Uh, uh, but, uh, cause I, I was saying that to say, cause I feel like I'm not, uh, by like being judgmental here, but it's an alignment with what I've, uh, uh, witnessed, um, when people cheat or flirt, which is like, and I do think this movie hooks into this, like a few, few years ago, somebody explained it to me that it was like, yes, dudes cheat, but a dude really doesn't act on the impulse to cheat unless tough pill to swallow fellas. You're feeling a little, your ego's a little damaged mm-hmm. or bruised or small. There's something down there that is like, uh, I can get this. I mean, it's what Mr. Adam Levine's going through. People are like, <laughs> how can this pop star who's so handsome be cheating on his wife with this Victoria's Secret model or whoever? I don't know anything. Oh, about it's this. just come out in the last couple of days oh. and will be forgotten by the time people are listening to this. <laughs> but, um, it's because he's um, a narcissist who needs, needs validation. validation. Yeah. And men, particularly men, are always going to have this sad little need to bolster their ego and have validation. It's just like this fucking sad. I'm grouping myself in that too. I always need this sort of like mm-hmm. validation boost. For my ego to, in order for me to face the world, I got to feel big. And it's really telling in that scene when they first meet at the bar, he says something about his friend Stuart Pankin. He's like, well, I guess he's just a little insecure like all of us. And it's true, but it's also a bit of a game he's playing here. He's kind of like floating this thing of like... (laughs) Even me, I know this guy with his beautiful chin can feel a little insecure. It's hey, baby, you want to boost me? Like it's the script is so good in that sense. They really nails the psychology of what I imagine nineteen eighty seven New York yuppies to be. And then one level deeper, like you say, Michael Douglas, whose character is allowed to play against that type a little bit yeah. for manipulation and vulnerability. I love all the nuances they make Michael Douglas not being totally slick. Like same year as Wall Street. In Wall Street, he's like taunt and like, or they make him look like fit. Yeah. And this he's, I love it. He's kind of got a pudgier face. When he's shirtless, yeah. he does have kind of like a tummy and boobies. When he's carrying her, when she's mounting him in his thin little legs and uh, black socks. I fucking love those two moments when he's Me lifting too. her up because they come after really where she's being like sexy aggressor type. Like she's like pulling him onto the sink and like turning on the faucet the way and she, stuff. She can wash dishes and have sex at the same time. What a woman. I mean, oh, she can off. wash the dishes. What? Uh, uh, but like... Uh, <laughs> The fact that that pants scene around the ankles and him holding her comes right after that. 
I was telling Leslie this morning, because uh, I had watched it last night, uh, uh, Leslie and our daughter went to a, a soccer game. Mm-hmm. I stayed home and watched Fatal Trek. <laughs> and uh, uh, um, I was retelling her. The exact opposite of the couple in Fatal Attraction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, retelling her. There's two really funny moments where they want to show how in overhead and over his head yeah. uh, Michael Douglas is with this woman who's just like sexually kind of out of his league. She's yeah. just like, is that part where he's like trying to carry her with his pants around his ankles. And then later when she's like, I'm going to go down on you in an elevator. Yeah. And then it stops. And then his little head is like <laughs> peeking around while people walk by. He's like, oh, don't look at me. I know. That's what Amanda asked. Is this a comedy? Well, it's just and like perfect like, to yeah. make it seem like this is not a, this is not the norm a Michael Douglas character where he's entire master of the universe. Yeah. He's like, uh, uh, and for that reason, I really liked him in this movie. And we've talked about this before. I'm not a huge Michael Douglas fan. I don't dislike him, but really liked him. In oh, this. he's yeah. so great. There's so many moments where he's completely winning, where, um, when he tricks her about the heart attack in the park and he's like, ah, yeah. and then oh, that whole twist too. How about that? She just says her dad died of a heart attack, so don't joke about it. And then she reveals she's joking to him. But then you find out later in her scrapbook that he really did die. So she actually didn't want to make him feel bad. That's how twisted her poor mind is. Yes. That she's catering to him. Right, right. At the expense of her own connection with him and vulnerability. And then also like fucking with him of kind of like... Because what does he say at the end of that scene after she says that? He goes, well, yes, you showed me. <laughs> it's basically like, wow, if we're going to try to do a little fun game here, she's always going to yeah. be able to win. She's just on a higher level of mind fuckery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. The I noticed in that newspaper clipping, the movie only really makes like two or three like, huh, what? Like, which is for a thriller is amazing. Yeah, like usually no there's just like so many holes. But when he's looking at the newspaper clipping, it says her father died at 42. I know. And that picture, he looks like Sigmund Freud, yeah. like 80 years old. I noticed that too. I didn't understand that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he also died of a heart attack. Like, uh, Michael, but uh, um, the, uh, um, oh, oh, well, what about, oh, so the original ending, we never, uh, oh, but right. that's okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, interesting. Just really quickly. Yes. Which please. do you prefer? Oh, the theatrical. Yeah, I do too. So the, the alternate ending for the listeners that don't know is, uh, Michael Douglas and Ann Archer are raking and burning leaves at their country home. She's yes. wearing the most amazing. It's a, it's like a duster raincoat, but a sweater. <laughs> It's the coziest thing. It might rival Pamela Voorhees. I know. And she earlier when she's uh, visiting her uh, parents and she's wearing that long corduroy like denim. Yeah, it's like acid wash denim. Acid wash denim. But she's queen cozy in this movie. Oh, God. That that floor length sweater. Get out of town. And it's an alternate ending. It's not even in the theatrical cut. That's uh, the greatest loss to cozy cozy cinema. That's the the greatest loss. Release the sweater cut. (laughs) 
Um, Zach's sweater cut. <laughs> um, the um, yes, it would have taken right after the scene where he attacks her in the apartment and walks out. Then yeah. it dissolves to them. So you would have not had any of the home invasion scene where she comes at at the end. That yeah, none yeah. of the stuff where he comes back and is taking care of her and the kid back home. Or, yeah. yeah, and so uh, then three cops show up, including the one detective you've seen throughout the film. And they say that she's dead. Mm -hmm. Alex is dead. And uh, it was a homicide and we need to bring you in for questioning. And he's like, I didn't do it. What are you talking about? He goes, well, don't worry. The knife she cut her throat with, if it doesn't have your fingerprints on it, you won't have anything to worry. And they're cutting back to him putting the knife on the counter before he leaves her place, which is a brilliant shot you don't realize is so important the first time you see it. Then you just see her look at the knife like she's already planned this. Oh. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gets arrested and taken away and Ann Archer's despondent. And he's also saying, go call our lawyer. She goes up to find his like phone book and in the phone book is the cassette tape with her general confession about mm -hmm. she'll do that he terrible. listened to in the car previously yeah and so she's kind of like and ends with ann archer smile crying <laughs> and then a, a like i think that's it right like, uh uh then great summary uh then like when she's here's when she's crying a real corny ass movie moment that like oh right off, right. off camera, she, you hear her say, come on, Ellen, we're going to get daddy out or something like that. It's like they're trying to cram in oh, what I didn't catch that. is going to happen next with the story. Off, It's bad. It's what a bad movie does. And then the movie ends. And I guess for some people, this could be like a real knockout ending. And I respect that. It shows... Glenn Close in flashback doing the thing of her slitting her throat. She's sitting in the bathroom floor while Madame Butterfly is playing. Yeah. Yeah. Completing this idea that's been set up of the Madame Butterfly suicide, how they both love it. Right. And for that, I guess it it's a punctuation mark on that idea, but I don't need two people talking about a musical and bonding over, or opera bonding over that to get a final punctuation mark in a yeah. movie. The reason I don't like... I know people said that they, uh, uh, um, I, I said respect to people who that ending works for them because I could see it being a knockout. I'm going to say, I think if somebody does like that ending, it's being a little like edge lordy contrarian, not to question somebody's tastes. I know that's a big thing, but it's just like, because I'll argue, like I know the theatrical one is like the Hollywood ending. Yeah, They changed it. So it doesn't end on this like bummer note that, the bad lady won the good guy quote unquote lost and, but maybe it'll be worked out. It's like, like I said, narratively so unsatisfying. You have to assume that, okay, then they take the cassette tape and it exonerates him. And then he gets out of your imagining, which is a horrible ending. Yeah, I agree. And then um, that it's like, at no point has the movie done this flashback trickery. So to have the last shot be this like, <clears throat> it's cheating to kind of be like our last shot is going to be a flashback to something that already happened, which was her suicide. I'd walk out of that theater and just be like, what a ripoff. Yeah. I think you're right. I think people that would like it, like you're saying, maybe on paper, 
I too would want a dramatic ending as opposed to like a kind of neatly buttoned thriller ending mm-hmm. for the sake of a thriller ending. But in reality, this one doesn't work. It's too it's too much of a downer and a confused message yes. and, and a, a weird like uh, justice will be served. He'll get out, but also what's the point? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's I, a little I could, more it's trying easy to get under your skin, but it's yeah. I don't think it's a movie that's about getting under your skin. The whole movie's been about like priming this pump, pump. So I know you could paint the, this theatrical ending as like a Hollywood ending, but it's because it's it's really effective. She comes back. Yeah. He tries to, she tries to kill him. He can't. The wife gets to have her piece. Like, also, you care so much about that family. It's not wrong to want to see that get restored in some way. No, that's the crazy thing. I do. And I, I went into this movie thinking, I'm not going to have any real sympathy for Michael Douglas mm-hmm. in this. But I do almost for the sake more for. This is horrible in a way, but for Ann Archer and for the daughter. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not like just keeping a family together for the sake of family values, but I think he has learned his lesson here. And ironically, in the theatrical ending, they they do stay together, but mm. you feel like it's an earned journey through the trauma in the in mm-hmm. the the, uh, the alternate ending. When he's being taken away in the car, she's running outside the window saying, I love you, I love you. And it feels like too desperate for her. You want Mm -hmm. her to have more um, hesitance and suspicion in taking him back, which Mm -hmm. I think is more present in the theatrical version. And then also her shooting Glenn Close. I mean, she should shoot Glenn Close and then maybe shoot Michael Douglas in the leg. (laughs) And then then say, okay, we're good now. Yeah, but no, um, that other ending does make it seem like uh, I really what what you just said about he really um, does seem like he's sorry of one of the many, many hundred like brilliant little moves this movie does. (laughs) Having him uh, um, when he first apologizes to her, I had an affair. She's pregnant. Oh, there's like 20 minutes left to go. And I don't know if it's the filmmakers making it, if it's Michael Douglas as a performer, knowing like I still have 20 minutes left in the tank that I have to give here. His apology is a real Clinton level. I know. Not real yeah. apology. And so that's, that's a why. confession, not an apology. Yes. Yeah. And he kind of has this like a look on his face that I can only imagine Mrs. Douglas maybe in real life has seen, <laughs> which is a guy confessing and then being like, I'm fucking getting away with this. All right. Okay. Here we go. Like he has like this glint in his eye and this sort of like Clintonian slickness. Yeah. That's like, if he had been true confessional atoning here, the movie wouldn't have worked when he's at the hospital bed and he has to fucking eat shit in front of her, his in-laws, her parents who are like scowling at her. Like she got in an accident because you're chasing pussy, dude. And he's like at the end of the bed and he cries and he's like, I'm so sorry. That's when I'm like, Oh, he's legit. Sorry here. It's like, what a fantastic movie. Uh, 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 He really, he had to earn that. And then so, yeah, that ending there, 
Um, I get satisfaction with her showing back up. It is funny that you can see Glenn Close isn't as gaunt. These are definite reshoots oh, that I are happening. That. I'm not talking about weight. I'm yeah. just like talking about like um, in those scenes in her white bricked apartment building. It's like she's like um, interesting, ghost like. Yeah, and in um, this when she shows up, it's almost like. It works. It looks like she could take somebody on now. It's kind of this like uh, brutality is in her now, as opposed to the kind of like frailty of like when Michael Douglas is like tossing around the apartment and stuff. But it's so funny at this time in Hollywood, I just feel like it was like reshoot city. Like the player is kind of like making jokes about it at the end, how they like have to reshoot the ending because test audiences didn't like it. But this is around like pretty and pink reshoots the ending. So she doesn't get with ducky and little shop of horrors. The planet doesn't take over the world. The couple, right. like, I just feel like nowadays you don't, I don't know if it's because movies get test market up the ass before they're made. Maybe they don't have to figure it out later, but do you think she was pregnant? Did they don't ever, you see the, she's got the pregnancy test box in her, medicine cabinet but we never see and we don't know anything about the doctor yeah you're right i mean i'm assuming she was but the other question that it doesn't answer that a normal movie wouldn't thank god it doesn't is if this is the first time he's done this like fooled around yeah but also the like the the thing that it completely skates over and and this is a flaw of the movie i think is Uh you know they murder this woman out of self-defense or they kill her but the killing (laughs) An unborn child, too. I mean, it's really early, obviously, but it is his child, and he seems to have no concern for this child whatsoever. And I'm not even talking like on a pro-life, pro-choice stance. I'm just saying, no. But does the, he believe she's pregnant? Yes. And if uh, uh, Ann Archer, when she walks into that bathroom, <laughs> she's going, I am shooting Glenn Close, and I am shooting the unborn child inside her. I know, it's it's fraught for sure, but he seems to believe she's pregnant and he follows up with the gynecologist and and that the doctor says congratulations to him thinking he's a willing God, dude, I love that question of, yeah, was she really pregnant? Like, and the fraughtness also comes with, you know, in these subsequent nightmare movies, I think it a lot of times it'll be like, we're yuppies and this interloper non-yuppie is trying to get into our yuppie world. Fuck them. Oh, yeah. But in this, what's interesting is like, Alex, Glenn Close, is a yuppie. She's like a publishing house book editor. Yeah. She's cool. She's got like, she's dressed for the time, cool. And it almost seems like what she's interloping here. And it's like, how dare you interlope this is like the family unit. Yeah. Cause this is post seventies. We're allowed to be promiscuous now. Yeah. You, you're not allowed to go back to a storybook family life, especially since you've stepped out. You are also now. Glenn Close. You're 36 now. You've, you've <laughs> chose like, it is like, I'm, oh, I'm saying yeah. adding to the complexities of what this uh, movie kind of is. It is sort of like, how dare this woman in her black leather jacket Come in and disrupt our earth tones. And, uh, you know, uh, what's that blue color? Uh, blue color of um, dress shirts. Chambray. Yeah, chambray. Yeah. So 
the, all evidence suggests from this movie that she is pregnant because there's they never say she isn't. Except the evidence, which I think is compelling, is that she will do anything. Clearly, she will try to kill them. Mm-hmm. She's she's truly unhinged. Yeah. So there's no way to know if she's pregnant. Yeah, that she's not a a, a reliable yeah. person. The fact that it is the same thing that. Michael Douglas has and she wants him in his life so you could go oh you can see the inner workings of her mind like oh if I want that then I have a kid with him and then he'll come to me and yeah and I love it because the movie's doing this on purpose if it wanted to it could have shown you a positive pregnancy test in the trash can but it just showed you the box that she owns yeah yeah and uh, that that's I mean the pregnancy element of this movie is like what is like takes it to a higher level than any thriller or suspense movie can because it is in ancient anxiety. <laughs> yeah. This, that, you know, you could make a suspenseful movie where a guy's not married and has a kid who hooks up with somebody without boundaries or is a little dangerous and they go, Oh, I'm pregnant and I'm going to have this kid. Dude, uh, me just saying that out loud right now is like species is about so scary. It's just like (laughs) such a terrifying thing of like, I wouldn't be able to control that. Right. It is that person's choice. It would change my life forever. That is so much more of a, Anxiety that can be tapped into, then will they get the spy codes? Uh, (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when she's like, I'm pregnant. And he's like, well, I'll pay for the abortion. He's like, I'm not getting an abortion. It's like, he hasn't even fathomed that option. Because he even, once he finds out she's pregnant, he doesn't even worry that much because it's just, oh, she's crazy. But still, even she's saying enough, we'll get an abortion in the 80s. It's fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when she says that, you just see. (sighs) And then that kicks off like five scenes of him of just terrific Douglas acting where he is enraged. He is so angry, but it's all like under like. Uh, 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 was, uh, uh, under a lid. So like that scene when he gets a call from her at off at the office and you can see he wants to like scream and he's like, so you can't do this anymore. Okay. Yeah. That was Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it's uh, yeah. Terrific to see him. And then so finally when he does get, angry when he comes to her house and his uh, her apartment about how she showed up at his house and how she can't do that that's like a uh when you get to see the real douglas uh temples and, yeah uh, and then you're you leave his side because at this point now you've basically got two villains chasing each other around a room oh and assaulting that, each other and can you think of any other 80s actor than Michael Douglas who could that scene when he gets back after cheating and he um gives the pasta to the dog yeah. and goes and lays in the bed and rumples the sheets and I don't who cares likable unlikable it's mainly just like is a person interesting or compelling yeah, to watch right. I can't think of many actors 
in that era who I would watch do that and be like, fuck this guy. Like with Michael Douglas, I'm like, oh, whatever. I'm willing to watch this guy, what he's up to. Well, there's something about Douglas being a little unlikable that that helps this. So Definitely. if you put Harrison Ford in this, well, we've seen it kind of in Presumed Innocent. It's interesting, but it's different. In this, you're kind of expecting it from the beginning. You know something's up. And, and you're getting to see bravery of an actor. Like yeah. somebody who in the peak of like me, like me, 80s movie filmmaking is like, take me or leave me. I, Glenn I'm playing this too. shit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then so that fact that you have the center with Ann Archer, this like perfect brunette center. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, has emotional reactions that are in tune with mine. Yeah. So like, yeah. maybe that's probably why that scene where he confesses to her in a reaction is so like satisfying. It's just like, there's somebody here who's not a complete maniac. Right. I mean, I know uh, you were talking about the times and stuff. Like, um, with that ending, if it had, hadn't been that ending, everybody who's made that movie has said, oh, the movie would have been half as popular because the ending wouldn't have been mm-hmm. cathartic for people and they wouldn't have told people about it or gone to see people again. But, um, like... Um, I don't know, like, when you were watching it now, I was curious, like, at what point does it become, like, when people were watching it, going, oh, this is going to get scary. When is this going to be a thriller? Like, I don't know that they knew. Like, Like we were saying earlier, I don't think the genre had been established enough with romance eroticism mm-hmm. thriller and drama so i i mean i think there almost could have been some people going into this thinking it's uh reds or kramer versus kramer kramer or versus kramer Postman yeah always rings twice or i think the kramer versus kramer ordinary people mold of like these yeah. are a-list actors doing drama like this is going to be about about a man who has to come to terms with the fact that he had an affair yeah. during a time when he was facing some complications in his life, but they all became better people. I think they thought it would be a shouting match <clears throat> about lust and love and then didn't realize they're going to go on such a roller coaster. Well, even that poster, yeah. which when I was a kid, I might have known it's a Glenn Close go psycho movie, but the poster looks like a like Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. It looks like oh, the story of two people who are in love and are torn apart by a rip in the poster <laughs> or a rip in the picture. It's FaceTime. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, well, good golly, we've been jumping all over the place. How do well, we talk about this? Well, why don't we this? take a pee break and then we can go through beat by beat. I got some notes. Okay, okay. Uh, sound uh, good? Uh, yes. We'll be right back. With Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. 
But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. With Corley and Rust. Sarah Time. In the park. I think it was the 4th of July. Sarah time <laughs> in the park. That was what Paul was singing about my sister-in-law taking my daughter to the park. Yeah, they said, uh, hey, Sarah's going to take you to the park uh, to your daughter. And then uh, Sarah time in the park popped yeah. uh, into my heart. People laughing a man selling ice cream. <laughs> Weird. Not as weird. weird. Not as weird as twenty five oh six two four. Sitting cross leg on. The- I mean, I love it, but strange. Uh, well, let's start. Any <gasps> any logo loco thoughts? Yes, seventy uh, fifth anniversary edition of the Paramount logo. Wow, we saw this recently on Chucky, right? Where did we see this? Um, we saw it recently on. Well, I know I recently saw it on the Beverly Hills Cop 2. Oh. Um, they had a banner year here. Yeah. And I think there's also um, kind of similar to like, um, you know, I was saying like every shot is beautiful in this movie. It looks like a commercial. Yeah. There's a scene, there's a shot in Beverly Hills Cop 2 where they have to sell a joke that Eddie Murphy gets up on his tippy toes to face Bridget Nielsen. Yeah. And in any other... Fun action comedy, sloppy comedy. They wouldn't even maybe have a close up of his feet, but if they did, it'd be like real fun. Yeah. yeah. Burp, burp. The close up of his feet <laughs> looks like the most gorgeous Nike commercial you've ever seen. Tony Scott, man. It's Tony Scott. Who's baby. the DP on that? Uh, uh, it's not Yandabont. And for you, Ah, people who aren't in industry, that means doer of photography. <laughs> but that's Don Simpson yeah. um, and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, who also did Flashdance with Adrian Lynn. Ah, so was Paramount was like in the business of like visual stylists who are slick. Now, there was a little, just to give some context here, in the 80s, there was a big... Euro to Hollywood pipeline. Mm. And I think it's like Hollywood being like, we need style. Yeah. Let's go out to these other movies where there's cool style happening. So that includes Adrian Lynn, uh, Alan Parker, Tony Scott, Ridley Scott, Paul Verhoeven, yeah. Wolfgang Peterson, Rennie Harlan, many more. And that's Jan just- Jan Yeah, Jan Debont. That's just uh, Europe. Lemmy Riefenstahl. <laughs> also, people are pulling from Australia and New Zealand, obviously. Like, um, but uh, Lemmy? Did I say Lemmy? I meant Lenny. No, Lemmy from Motorhead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but the same shot of the Eddie Murphy going on his tippy toes equivalent in Fatal Attraction is when 
a button gets pushed in that elevator yeah. to stop it so they can get a blowjob. Like any other movie would just be like, shot of a figure on the thing. Yeah. It is the most gorgeous shot of an elevator pad. Same with when, I can't remember if it's Michael Douglas or Glenn Close lights a match and the lens flare on the match, it's a perfect plus sign. The little cross flare. Whoa, beautiful. Gorgeous. Just gorgeous. gorgeous. Like they, it's like they pulled Glenn Close's post-coital pantyhose off her body <laughs> and slapped it on the camera. Let's just pick that up right there and zoop yeah. doo It was uh, both gauzy and somehow gooey. <laughs> <laughs> what I got to see, <laughs> I got to see it in all its gauziness. Uh, Matt, did you know it got released on Facebook 4K Ultra HD last week, and the day it was released, I had it come. It came to me in the mail. Oh, I had pre-ordered this months ago. Wow! So it just perfectly timed out that I got to watch this on a, a really uh, the most beautiful, pristine print I've seen yet. How nice! Um, not fully pristine, you know, and like yeah, yeah it looked beautiful. A- uh, but the um. Uh, oh, the only thing I was going to say before. before uh, logo loco is um oh in terms of the time period and stuff Glenn Close in addition to the thing about oh the movie would be popular because of this there was also like I've had so many men come to me and say you Fatal Attraction scared the shit out of me it made me stop cheating on my wife or made me never want to mm. uh cheat on my wife and to have a tape recorder rolling on a couple who's just seen Fatal Attraction to be like a fly on the wall, the amount of like conversations that must have ignited at book parties and over she-she dining tables with couple, like, or even just between philandering men. Oh, between the men who philander yeah, being, yeah. holy shit, have you seen this yeah. movie? Like, don't go to it with your wife. You're going to like... Also, imagine having cheated on your wife or girlfriend and then reconciled and then going to see this movie and the man just sitting there the whole time just getting... But it's so funny. It's such a huge, seat. huge blockbuster hit. The only thing that beat it was Three Men and a Baby, which is like the flip side of like, my kids and domesticity. Yeah. And it was number one for weeks. And then the running man knocked it out of the top the spot. Running man. Thank you, Brantley. <laughs> running man. Uh, yeah. Eight weeks. Chan. At eight weeks yeah. at number one. So yeah. that means it's scaring the shit out of grownups and like, they love it. Yeah. And they're going to see the movie, but I can't think of another like zeitgeist movie that's scared outside of like Jaws. You know, you hear stories of people going like, I, even when I go like into a beach and I go to the water, yeah. I still think of Jaws, there's right. sharks in the water. That's just kind of affected me for life, traumatized me for life. Fatal attraction, like Jaws is to water. I yeah. think it's like fatal attraction is to adultery. Well, remember people wouldn't go to space after Alien. <laughs> yes. They were like, wait, I can't, my screams can't be heard. (laughs) That's how I stay alive and get help. I'm out of this. I was all on board getting on the next uh, flight to L7V2227. 227. Well, there's no place like space. LV227. With the ship screw around you, you're never alone. Uh, But yeah, that's it. So yeah, that, uh, uh, 
um, gorgeous Paramount Gulf and Western 75th anniversary. I think this is the perfect yuppie font. Once the trailers come in, it's white on black. Mm -hmm. It's a classic, elegant font. No music. Mm -mm. And six people build in the cast. That's it. (sighs) And two of them are Stuart Pankin and Fred Gwynn. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. The, the, oh my God, the just tasteful simple eloquence yeah. of, of, of those exquisite eloquence. And Maurice the- Jarre does the score. He's <gasps> so 80s, but wrote one of my favorite scores of all time. Yeah, familiarize me with this person. Dead Poet Society. Uh-huh. He also did Witness and Mosquito Coast. He's very synth heavy, sort of like on the tail end of Vangelis. Oh, so Peter Weir loved this dude. If he yeah, was, yeah, yeah, no kidding. But man, that, that dead poet society what's a what's a is it strings or synth it's or? all synth but like synth strings and harpsichord bum 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 ba dum bum bum yeah dum bum bum ba dum i would say the score for oh, and this bagpipes sorry oh sorry yeah i uh that was beautiful by the way uh the the score um yeah, and Fatal Attraction, it feels a little like... It's not great. He's playing for a lot of different audiences. Yeah. Like when it needs to be a slasher, when it needs to be a tearjerker, it's just... I agree, and I will say as much as I love Dead Poet Society, I think this, when we say this thing was firing on all cylinders, maybe the score was a bit... It could have been... If it was really up to the level of the rest of the film, it could have really been something. That's where if De Palma had been directing this, yeah. we would have had a nice, like, erotic, dangerous, erotic, Pino, like, score. Vito De yeah. yeah, so let's talk about that De Palma thing for a bit, because uh-huh. in the notes, there's <gasps> so much about that. That's fascinating that yeah. he came on board after Michael Douglas was attached and then wanted to get rid of Michael Douglas went to the studio and said, it's either him or me. And they chose Michael Douglas because he had been with it longer and then chose to lie to Michael Douglas about why De Palma left so as not to hurt his confidence in the making of the film, which I actually think is kind of sweet. Yeah, because that could really fuck you up as an actor. Like, oh, the director's leaving because he has no confidence in you. That that Yes, the, that information is so full of surprises because I, oh, we talked about uh, like a... Uh, uh, you know, Brian De Palma cast uh, Robert De Niro in his first role. Like he, Carrie is just perfectly cast. Like this is a dude who understands casting. So, and Michael Douglas seems like the only guy who can play like Daniel in Fatal Attraction. So it is a little like, that's what surprises me. It's like, wow, his meter was really off. How could he not see? he thought he was too unlikable? And I know it was the producer's idea to put Tom Hanks in Bonfire of the Vanities, but ultimately De Palma went along with it. I have a hunch that Brian De Palma has this thing with his boat gets lifted if he has a certain pedigree of actor attached Mm. to his movie. Mm. So Untouchables gets lifted because he has Robert De Niro playing Al Capone. Same year, yeah, right? Sean Same studio. Too, yeah. um, right. And Sean Connery, this movie star, is coming to be a supporting actor in my Brian De Palma movie. Would and he not have done Untouchables if he did this? I think so. Yeah, because... Um, wow. And then... Um, but... Or it's like, I'm making... Body double, the thing is, is like, it's fun trash. I'm casting Craig Wasson. Fuck you. Like, it doesn't have to be a marquee. Like, that seems to be, or 
Scarface, well, it has to be the greatest actor who ever lived playing this like mm-hmm. scumbag Al Pacino. So I think he both thought like, who is this guy from Streets of San Francisco who like actually produces movies and he puts himself in the movies he produces? No, I should be working with uh, whoever is the equivalent of like Gregory Peck now or so. Like, that's what seems like maybe what he was thinking is like, this guy isn't A grade for my prestige thriller movies or something. I don't know. But if if De Palma had done it, it would have been interesting, but it would have been just another one of a series of what he had already done, as opposed to him going on to do Untouchables, which is a one of a kind movie. Uh Yeah. And then we wouldn't have this fatal attraction. I'm so glad it worked out this way. Yeah. And it worked out this way too, that like Paramount was making these amazing movies because Dawn Steele at the time was a chairman. And when she got moved over to Columbia in the late eighties, based on her track record, she brought De Palma along with Untouchables and out of a, um, a, a loyalty because of the fatal attraction stuff that he got to make then his passion project, a uh, casualties of war. Mm, that's right. Um, but yeah, the, uh, uh, I share stuff, um, because to let people know, I know it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I hope that adds some interesting uh, piece of like, oh, um, really great movies get made at a time, a lot of times because the person working at the studio has good taste and supports good yeah, people. Yeah. Um, uh, making sure that, yeah, but you're right. If this had just been made by De Palma, it would kind of been like another sort of like glossy, over fetishized. And the whole reason I feel like Fatal Attraction works is people talk like how people talk. The yeah. living rooms look like people's living rooms. Like her, I've never lived in a white bricked, cool studio apartment or whatever that is. But like, she's got these like on her corners in her apartment, there's like scuffs yeah. on the walls and stuff. And like, well, even their house on the wainscoting, their nice house had little fingerprints on it like dirt kid dirt and those I, have to be put there by somebody so or they really already cool. were yeah. because th- this was all on location including the domestic interiors except the last shot was it rebuilt i noticed it because they had to because of the reshoots right <sighs> they can't go back to that house and i noticed i did i didn't even think about it this was my wigdar moment good for you my wigdar i think is becoming i've been harnessing this power i love it is Real interior or not. And set dar. Set dar. Because when Michael Douglas, before he closed the door, there's just kind of like a phony fog and a phony red light of a car driving away. But outside of that, it's it is a vacuum of like black void. And him and Ann Archer just walk out and they close the door and they walk away from it. And the whole point of it is so that the camera can go to the frame of them on the table. Oh. But if you, I think if you rewatch it, it. I might have to. And I believe it makes it. sense. They couldn't go yeah. back to that location if they're just like, hey, we're on a set. We're shooting the bathroom attack scene and then we're going to do the final shot here. Um, wow. It's amazing. I know in the notes, Adrian Lyne insisted on shooting on location. And so they looked everywhere and eventually went back to the same place. He shot nine and a half weeks. So yeah, yeah, it's the same apartment. I I love the, um, all of the spaces are perfect. I mean, like 
the the stuff shot inside the house. You're right. That's all in there. And then when they're walking on the street, like 1987 New York, when they go to that book party, mm-hmm. that perfectly oh. 1987 like restaurant, cool sh- oh, chic that, restaurant. I want to go to that place so bad. I want to go to that party where the work party and big is at. Yeah. Like that. Those like. It, it's like when what people must have felt when you saw like movies in the 30s of high society. I want to go like, there oh, too. That looks so nice. I know those clothes. Everybody's so sophisticated and yeah. witty, and nobody's gonna have an affair or kill anyone. No, no, it's fine. Well, like I said, after Fatal Attraction, nobody ever had an affair again. I know it's true. Little little known fact: nobody's <laughs> ever had an affair since 1987. <laughs> Um, it's funny. Um, uh, yeah. So then the Bloomingdale's like tasteful white font, but it is funny. It's a version oh, of the, yeah. um, it's a version of the Friday 13 font. That's yeah. white on black too. I know. You're not kidding. It's just a refinement of this exploitation movie. It is. It's, yeah. Um, the editor is Michael Kahn, mm-hmm. who's Spielberg's editor. Yeah. And this movie like i said is like a swiss clock it's just like perfectly um what i love about michael Kahn when you watch the interviews with him he's like i never edit for continuity it's always the feeling if you gotta cut there you gotta cut there if your gut is telling you you cut there and it's like you can tell why he fits with spielberg perfectly it's just like go where the feeling goes man and that's like what I feel in Fatal Attraction. It's well, just you like, can see continuity errors yes, in editing in this. There are mistakes, but I'm so pulled by the performances yeah. or whatever, the atmosphere. Um, Howard Atherton is the DP for this. Um, and Jaffe and Sherry Lansing. Sherry Lansing would later become the head of Paramount, married to William Friedkin. Mm. Um Stanley Jaffe is a producer, and I think he Friedkin in the sheets, a Jaffe in the streets. <laughs> That's where that expression goes. We're like yeah. in like Flynn. Yeah. Um that Jaffe name, you know, growing up in uh, landlocked Iowa, we didn't get much Hollywood showbiz, but we had a TA come once and he was like, I know somebody who's friends with the Jaffe's. And I'm like, who's that? Jaffe, Jaffe. He's like, Oh, he's a producer. You'd see his name on a lot of stuff. After that, man, I'm seeing oh, Jaffe wherever uh, I can find him. Be like, I knew the TA who was from Al Jaffe from Mad Magazine. Gotta be related. Snappy answers. Jaffe Sinclair from Iron Eagle. It's close enough. <laughs> uh, so this is interesting. The screenplay. This it's this credit. I forget the name of the the author. Screenplay based on his original screenplay because he wrote a drama a in 1979 for British television that this film was based on. That's interesting. And also it just seems like, wow, this is just the purest form of drama. How was this not written before? I know. But a man who cheats and then has the person out there could fuck up his wife. I, like I know play Misty for me dabbles in these waters of like the psycho woman you can't shake off but it's not under the context of like because she could ruin my life that I've set up for myself I mean you get a little bit in Shakespeare but it's always misunderstanding Othello much ado about nothing or about misunderstood affairs and there's tension from affairs in like a drama like a Woody Allen drama where you're like oh 
one of Hannah's sisters is cheating on her, you know, like caught up in that. But yeah. like, it's so rare for it to be played for suspense, it's which it totally just too is. scandalous to think that people would have an affair. Well, I remember when that Sony leak happened and those emails, remember like 10 years ago and uh, because of the interview, there was a hack yeah. and all these emails. Amy Pascal's. Amy yeah. Pascal was talking about that movie Aloha, the Cameron Crowe movie. Oh, yeah. And she was, it was such a cool insight into how people think about things. She was just like, we never should have made this movie. People don't see movies about people cheating on their partners, exclamation point. And I was like, she knows what's up. She knows what time of day it is. Maybe that's why this movie is just rarely made because it is too much of a wound for people. And I like, yes, but I hate when that's in the studio exec to a T to me of like, we should never make this movie because every movie in this category is automatically unviable or bad until yeah. one's a hit and then every movie's going to be that way. I well, yeah. hate that. Shit. I know. I know because you're like, oh, uh, the reason that thing was successful is because it took a, took a swing. Yeah. Um, the uh, um, so the beginning also with all that coziness is like the opening of Eyes Wide Shut. It's oh, like, it's very much, yeah, very similar. There's also a very. I would be shocked if Stanley Kubrick didn't see this scene, and but the later one where it's so much faster in this movie. It's like blinking, you'll miss it, and Eyes Wide Shut is like a centerpiece moment when he's after the affair and he's realized she's pregnant and he looks over and she's the mother is like reading to the child and he's like watching them and being like, Oh fuck, what did I do? Yeah. Like in eyes wide shut when he comes home and he goes over to the fridge, he looks over at Nicole Kidman and the daughter like doing homework together. And there's like this long of like, Oh fuck, this is what I fucked with. Yeah. Um, that, and then, yeah, this opening of the like, whatever the hubbub that happens before you go out to the dinner party the cocktail party and the nanny's about to come over and you're getting ready. It's just like different treatment or yeah. different class, yeah. I guess. Kubrick would have done well to have his kids in that movie watching. You can't do that on television though. This movie is so fucking snobby in what is on the television screens. It's you can't do that on television or a game show or like a daytime person being like, take your shirt off. Let's see her body. Let's oh, see how yeah. you've been working out. Like we've talked about it before, how movies have this funny thing of like, hmm, we're making this sleazy movie about a guy who fucks around and then has to pay for it with a buddy getting cooked in his pot. Can you believe how awful television is? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Uh, But I loved You Can't Do That on Television. I did too. I adored it. What were... um, uh, did you feel titillated by its naughtiness at the time when you were a kid? What 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 did you vibe on with? You can't do that on television. Oh, not fatal attraction. I was gonna say, well, what naughtiness was it? Is it just the barfing or, or dirty jokes about yeah eating gross stuff and being rude to your parents? I guess, but you know, I think it was when I was very little. I had just the font like faintest memory of laughing, and so then when I realized, mm-hmm. or even I don't think I did realize, but somewhere I knew that this was kind of that laugh in junior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it is with the um, lockers. Yeah, that's the like opening the little and the corny jokes, and I think I just thought. 
that was an early version of like, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish yeah. I could be on that show. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they pull stuff from like Saturday Night Live at the time where yeah. it'll be like, so-and-so cannot be brought to you tonight because, uh, you know, Kermit gets hit by a car, will not be shown tonight. And then replace it's you can't do it. Like yeah. those sort of jokes that does feel like, uh, oh my God, kids are getting to do what the grownups are doing. And I didn't know it was Canadian, but I could tell they talked different. There's and I thought it was go- cool. Like, yeah, sorry, 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 Alistair. Sorry about that. Sorry about the sorry about that Alistair. Alistair. Yeah. I'm like, what kid is named Alistair? Yes. Yeah. What? <laughs> With that her name's Christine. Why is his name Alistair? Oh, well, they do the man on the street interviews with real kids who are like real Canadian kids yeah. outside of an arcade. They'll be like, Well, I think we should be able to play arcade games at school. Or <laughs> <you know. laughs> the big injustice. It's also just the most brilliant setup for a sketch show, which is like we got 15 sets that we always go yeah. back to and we're just like running through the jokes of those every 30 seconds oh, it's like yeah. perfect uh so i don't like the thicking of the tongue that i feel like fatal they're probably choosing it because it's like visually looks cool the on a tv see this like green slide but he does like cover Did the kid's feel- eyes oh really i yeah i didn't notice that i guess i don't think it's clicking its tongue in that moment but in the context of the other tv clips that yeah. come along it does seem to be like these yuppies have terrible taste in TV. Yeah. Or interesting. Yeah. Everything has so much taste and sophistication except television. Right. Yeah. Um, so then they leave and they go to that beautiful uh, book party yes. for Samurai Self Help, which seems like a first thought title. I, I could not wrap my head around what this could mean. So it's just someone with a stereotypical like Japanese lifestyle philosophy based on a samurai. It's, so it's such like, a late 80s oh perfect God. algorithm like thing of like oh. Japanese are taking over our industries and uh, the way we relate to each other in business. Oh. And there is this self-help craze going on. Oh. Look, <laughs> I don't mean to dog anybody, whatever helps you get through the night, but I'm such a... I, I I just have no time for self-helpy stuff. I, I know it's helped a lot of people, but I think I hit on why that is the other day. And that is there's, to my knowledge, and I'm talking like books, like self-help mm-hmm. that's sold to you mm-hmm. through the mm-hmm. commercial market. I'm not talking about therapy. I'm or a friend who, yes, yeah, like yeah, yeah. time-tested, you know, help groups and things like that. I'm Got talking it. about the, the, the commercial structure of self-help. Mm-hmm. Give me one self-help book or, or like a uh, program, program mm-hmm. that has stood the test of time. It always dates and gets yeah. displaced. And it's, it's, but you're right. It either needs the non-profit aspect of AA Al-Anon. So you're like, yeah. This is lasting because there's no profit behind it. Right. And then with therapy, having to basically for it to have to go through the rigors of the me- medical community to prove that this is an actual medical science that's being treated. That is the only other way. No, I'm a big fan of those. No, I know. Yeah. The, yeah. I'm adding to what you said about yeah, how those yeah. are legitimate. And I'm saying, yes, they are legitimate. And it's what 
there's factors in it that keep it from being a flash in the pan of um, whatever men are from Mars, women are from Venus or bullshit. Because they work and they're not full of platitudes. And also if you distill any self-help thing down, it's always one, one concept that (laughs) that usually has some merit. Yeah. But all you have to do is take that away. You don't need to buy the thing because it'll mm-hmm. be a book about jerking off to that concept for yeah. 300 pages. I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. So negative. It's I just, know. I feel the same way. I'm a big, big therapy dude, big therapy dude. And, but with the, with self-help books, I've never bought one because it's the same way that I'm not into inspirational quotes or quotes oh. period. When people share them, I'm like, Ugh. I get that. That's a nugget of wisdom. I've heard it now when it's applicable, I guess I'll apply it. But what's really going to make me experience, learn, process, and interpret and finally dig into my fucking marrow. And I don't want to learn this lesson, but I'm finally going to have to. It's because I experienced it and dealt with it. I know. Because I like read somebody else's journey and went, Hey, right. Dang, I guess I got that too. <laughs> You're whatever self help you get to at the end of the process of being like, whatever. No, but people probably read books and met, met a lot to them. But uh, yeah, but we're talking about the con men out there. Who the samurai exp- self help. The samurai self help. But it's the same for anything like the. The secret, or the you're currently what's hot right now, the love language and all this stuff. It's just another. You, you, they haven't discovered anything. They've repackaged it and sold it to you, and yeah. it's predatory. And that's why it angers me. It's kind of like religion. Religious organizations feel that way to me too. Oh, where it's oh, just it's predatory. Oh yeah, my uh, my uh, my um, sister um, um, as a uh, uh, my niece. Uh, she's getting married. She's the greatest person in the world, and I'm so uh, happy and uh, f- happy for her. Um, uh, her mother, my sister, um, uh, has this wedding, and then her dog, who's many years old, um, uh, needs a surgery. And I, w- she was telling me this, and we were laughing about it because it was like the two industries. That no, the clientele <laughs> yes. will spare no expense to make sure that they never have to live with the guilt, pain, and agony that they didn't put all the money on the table that they could possibly. So it's either like in the wedding industry, it's like, you know, people usually do want two extra tables because yeah. if they don't, and it's it's the biggest day of your life. And yeah, you, maybe. And then it's also now. Oh, this treatment doesn't always work, but it might possibly continue the life of your dog by three months. It's, but it's the same yeah. thing with a self-help book or a relationship guide. The baby industry too. People are just so fully like, yes, please. And of course, you, you don't want to mess this stuff up. Oh, it's the thing God. you don't want to mess up. So people, uh, we talked to this third party black market guide for Disney because of this I've mentioned this podcast Amanda and I are working on about working at a theme park. So this is a person who doesn't work for Disney, but works as a guide that families can hire third party to take you through the parks and navigate, which is now a super complicated app system and everything, even if you want to get a corn dog. But But this guy is so 
on the ball, but in a scary way or like going to Disney now is like a competition to get on a ride anyway. But he was saying like, you've got to refresh, you've got to, and it'll take your soul. And do you love your kids? Do you love your kids? Do you? <laughs> I, I felt that industry. app pressure with this, the Disneyland app of oh, I when I was it. struggling with it. I was like, but do you love your kid? Yeah. Like what's wrong with you? You're not wanting to deal with this app stuff, but I did. Well, does think, my kid love me? Yes. I don't want to do this. <laughs> but I did kind of think like, so the 65 year old lifetime Disneyland lover who's rolling up here just has to be like, I got to get a smartphone and download an app to enjoy this place. And then I have to pay $20 for Genie Plus to get two fast passes now called lightning passes and then on top of that, if I want to go on Cars or Rise of Resistance, I got to pay $20 a piece more. It's weird because you would think um, a corporate structure that owns so much and <laughs> therefore has very little competition to deal with would somehow jack up its prices <laughs> because there's no competition to run against it. And mm. that brings us back to the 80s. <laughs> 1987. Uh, yeah. So yeah, 1987, New York. Do you think Michael Douglas could have possibly his Daniel character at that book party bumped into Gordon Gecko? Oh yeah, I was often wondering. Yeah, and it felt a little bit like what did we watch recently? Like felt like a continuation of a character. Oh, um, was it you and me? I forget. Maybe it was something I was watching with Amanda. But that dude was Prince of New York, 1980. Prince of Manhattan, 1987 no was Michael Douglas. He could have gotten any table he wanted. Now, um, what about Stuart Pankin? Oh, yeah. The I mean, Prince this was, of Manhattan. He's fresh off the heels of not necessarily the news on HBO's first comedy show. This is what every character actor dreams of. It's just like getting to score big in a huge movie. Yeah, and maybe... Maybe not score big, but just... Toned it down a little bit, you think? And I know that's the character, but even... So yeah, he's the the crank to eleven funny friend. Yeah, uh, yeah. When he went and talked to him in that beautiful location with the like shelves of books, and they're in the corner, yeah. kind of talking about what his legal options are. I was thinking it was funny, like in the world of New York buddies, talk that you go to to talk about your problems. It'd be funny if. Michael Douglas in that scene was Michael Douglas plays, you know, Daniel as always. But in that scene, his buddy has played like Bruno Kirby from When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. <laughs> just like in that part, you just like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then in the alternate, then there's one scene in Harry Met Sally where Stuart Pagan's like, I think I'm falling in love with Carrie Fisher over here. <laughs> this always seems to happen at least once in a movie when the director is not American, but they're making an American movie and they use some American actor that they don't understand may actually, oh, what's the word? Not cheapen the movie, but- you I know, know what you like mean, but you know what it is? It's a person, an American would be like, we're not that annoyed. But Paul Verhoeven and uh, these guys are like, no, you're that annoying. Yeah. And I've been at, across from dinner tables from you and you guys are that loud. Or they're that broad and <laughs> that the European person finds them funny where here we're kind of like, no, that's, you don't understand. That's not quite the same level of, of actor and performer as the rest of the movie. It's like how we found Russell Brand funny. And then people over in England are like, no, 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 no. That's. Is that true? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's, that's your version of British. That's not oh, our version of. Maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it even happens a bit. You can't tell quite with Christopher Nolan is, does he 
does he think Eric Roberts is a good actor or does he not know that he's kind of, and he is a good actor. He's good in that movie. Yes. Is he using him almost like Quentin Tarantino's using John Travolta or does he not? Does he go Eric Roberts is definitively the best actor for this pair? character or yeah. is he bringing some extra stuff but with an actor even his like them, yeah. yeah supporting i think eric roberts is great i do too yeah yeah but it was just a choice you wouldn't expect but especially in like verhoven films and stuff and you know casper yeah. van diem is like your leading man you yeah. fucking hate americans <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's one part in their little dinner table scene when he's they're getting particularly loud where like it's set up for its own isolated like little shot they set up for it where they do that like embarrassing cringy samurai. Oh, they both yeah. stand up and go, huh, "Yeah." Huh. That's harder to look at than the slit wrists. And <laughs> no one laughs harder than Ann Archer in that scene. <laughs> I just watched Ann Archer in uh, Shortcuts and she has a similar scene where it's two couples getting kind of drunk with each other at a dinner and like, is this going to turn into something or partners hooking up with each other? Well, Ann Archer has weird doppelganger scenes because she has a scene in Patriot Games where Harrison Ford is sitting by her bed after she's been in a horrible car accident. Ah, yes. I told you I almost picked Patriot Games for this season, but it's it's too much of an action movie, even though it becomes a thriller at the end. I think thrillers are all now for the Taken, but... Uh, uh, okay, great. I'll do Taken. <laughs> a thriller like Taken. I'm Taken by Taken. actually would work. Oh, yeah. Taken is... One of the best. Oh, it's so good. Entertainment's made in the last yeah. 15 years. Yeah. 20 years. I'm, I'm taken um, with Taken. Uh, the, uh, um, so then they meet the sort of him saying, I think he's a little insecure like all of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, I do think this is peak perm curly hair, but it's best executed version of it. Yeah. We've much been saddened how this era doesn't even in period movies get looked back at with much fondness. They'll make it kind of look ugly, but this does its best to make a frizzy perm look pretty. Yeah. Who else has, I mean, she doesn't have a permanent flash dance, does she? Uh, I might begin there. I mean, working girl that came out like the year after this is like the flip side of this and that it's like the women are, because Mike Nichols is a <laughs> snob. They're kind of played as like trash, yeah. Jersey trash, like yeah. with their perms yeah. and big hairdos and stuff. Bette Midler. Uh, Beaches. Uh, yeah. And um, what's her name? Uh, oh, Shelly in Outrageous Fortune. Oh, Shelly Duvall. I mean, Shelly Long. Long as well. Bette Midler, Bernadette Peters. It was a more like the perm went with the actress than the movie in a way. Yeah, it was the perm wagging the dog in the situation. Yeah, William Cat. <laughs> wagging the... He was really willing the cat there. <laughs> wagging the cat. to if, his, if he dropped the M and was just Will Cat, it's like, good luck, buddy. Pet trainers have been trying to do that. To Will a cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes that the, the, the movie is resolute like blonde versus brunette who cares they just gotta be permed yeah um, now 
then she goes away. Oh, this is what you were talking about. The movie kind of having a light touch and never like really drilling it hard. Like, of course she's a sex pot. That's why he's leaving his shitty life is because he's going to her. There's just really like what only a thriller can do where it's like, it's because it's all about kind of like, Ooh, you can interpret clues here on your own. Like when they get back from the dinner party, she's in, he goes to the bathroom and he's walking back to the bedroom and you know the vocabulary of movies, the grammar. You're like, he's going to come back. She's going to be naked in oh, bed yeah, and they're going to make love. Yeah. And he comes back and there's a kid in there. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's what his life is. They're not like going, he's going, hey, baby, I want to screw tonight. Yeah. No, no, no. I got a headache. You always have a headache, baby. Yeah. It's just like you thought in your mind they were going to have sex. They didn't. Kids there. And then the next scene when they're leaving, they don't make her a nag before she leaves that makes him go like, I got to really sow my wild oats here because my wife is just this battle axe. That, yeah. She's just kind of going like typical stuff of, or, or, or something that could be an argument in a couple, which is like, I'd really like us to maybe move and find well, a new she's place. she's excited, not nagging. And, yes. And she's also not a, you know, in movie terms of this time, a frigid bitch too, where you're kind of like almost giving him permission to go do this. They never give him permission. They never give permission. Yeah. It's just like. Not that there would be permission. No, no, no. Sense, but, but another movie would maybe try to just push it a little bit to make you understand why. He's not getting it Especially at home the from 80s. the wife. Yeah, because they would have tried to make him a kind of pseudo hero in mm -hmm. this movie where that's never the case. Yeah, which makes it not only a, um, a more interesting movie, but just like truer. It's just like, yeah. I'm sure in these situations, uh, uh, it's, it's uh, um, somebody has the opportunity. Oh, my wife and child are le left for the weekend. I got to go into this weird work Saturday meeting thing. And I'm, I cross paths again with this person and I hooked up with them. Like, as opposed to this, like Machiavellian. Right. Um, I mean, that's um, what we talked about with like noir, these movies. Um, my favorite thing is you said he's doing it because it's quick and easy. He thinks it's going to be quick and easy. My favorite movies are the person can make the right choice or like the easy choice, mm. the hard choice or the easy choice. And they make the easy choice and it just keeps for the rest of the movie. It's like snowballing. This is like the perfect snowballing movie. It's just like yeah. slowly seeing this guy get backed into a corner more and more. And what I think is brilliant about it, it's kind of like what's in that book scene when they're interviewing the book and they're asking the author, is it legal to talk in about an affair and print it? What's amazing about Fatal Attraction, there is never a crime. At no point does anybody ever do anything illegal. You can maybe say like, oh, a marriage is a pact and he's breaking oh, it yeah. illegal, but he's just doing something that's like wrong. Yeah. And we know it's wrong to do. And you just hope for the best that the person you're with isn't cheating. And yeah, that's the one. It's not like he kills his wife to get a, an insurance policy or to like the perfect heist to get money out of a bank. It's just like he slips up like people do. It's like, what a crazy what? movie. I mean, yeah. it's an amazing and movie. It's so 
the objective lens they have on this movie too, especially right. with his character. Cause he comes home after the affair and all is well, you know, in right. the quotes. And I think you could have said, you could have made an argument that his guilt should have started the morning after, even before any of the trouble with Alex to see that we're more sympathetic that he knows that he did wrong. But no, he's just like, like you said, yes. fixing the sheets. He makes two of those m- mistakes. Right. And the next so day when fine. she, yes, when she calls the next day and wants to hang out again, that's when he should be. If he was a man, he's already not a man of character because he's cheating on his wife. He makes the mistake again by going and hanging out with her again because you're like, God, have a conscience here, buddy. He doesn't. And then when they meet up again and they haven't had sex the next time and they have the dinner conversation where he's like, could we maybe have a future in this? And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm married. We could maybe. And she, she doesn't go psycho there. Like it could maybe in that moment, if he had been a man more of character, would have just walked away in that moment. But it's the second time he where you're like, God, you're fucking up, buddy. Is he sleeps with her again? And in the rules that people have when people hook up, if the conversation you had before you slept together was, I can't be there emotionally and both partners still hook up danger 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 that's like why it was dangerous they shouldn't have after that conversation hooked up again no or the first time but then it's really like he is a shit because he's doing this well i'm just fascinated that he the only reason he starts to appreciate his family is because he's in danger of being found out not because he has guilt Right, right, right. And the reason he gets the rabbit, the reason he wants to get the house is because he's making up for some guilt. And if he hadn't guilt done or that- fear of losing. Yes. Him, I mean, he's got that narcissism yeah. and that, that, that entitlement. It's, I don't ever see him really sorry for what he's done. He's fearful for losing what he has, not sorry for what he's done. Maybe at the end, After it's the accident, implied. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he gets it there, but that is- way too too long if you want to be sympathetic with him as a character it's fine for this movie it's Mm -hmm. fascinating the men are like that a lot yeah but it's just interesting that another movie would have had him come home and go what have i done but it took losing it not right and sort of self-flagellating himself about like oh this horrible thing i did but it's right it's he doesn't really start getting panic about it until she starts tightening the screws yeah i mean i do really love that like um moment when he comes home and she gives him a hug and he's like it's just slightly too much more welcoming and he says i missed you so much Uh, yeah and she goes liar yeah because most of the time for this long time couple she does know he's slightly fibbing when they've been away for a while and he goes oh i missed you like yeah she's like i know you actually did appreciate time from the home but in this moment there's that dissonance where she doesn't know he had an affair. So she's like, liar. And he's like, no, I did miss you. And then she's like, oh, oh, well, this is a this sweet. I know. But it's like, it's, it's not sweet. Yeah. He's feeling this yeah, yeah. self-pity or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all of that kind of twisting up. And then I don't think you would know that she's, even though she's talking about discretion and stuff, um, until she, I guess, 
Slitterus. Is that the first time you go? I feel like there was a time before that where you you would go. Well, subtly, yeah. The whole time you're going, oh, don't do. But then, and she's like, I will not be ignored. That happens before. Yeah. And that's verbally, you're, you're going, okay, she's she's going to take Yeah, this. she slits her wrist, though, before the I won't be ignored Oh, thing. is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. like what's crazy about that scene is like, it does feel like it's going to be a no complications. He sort of was like, oh, I'm going out of this. Well, and she then, calls him at home, which is yeah. interesting. Right, 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 right. Um I thought I told you never to call me here. I've heard in movies before. Uh, um, But the, oh, they go out dancing. It wouldn't be an erotic thriller unless you see Michael Douglas out on the dance floor. I was telling Amanda that that is, that's not just foreign because it's the 80s or well-to-do yuppies. That is something that always just takes me out because there's never been a time in my life where I was with anyone that I fancied that I would have gone, let's just you and me go to a nightclub and go dancing. That is so foreign to It's me. so funny when in old movies when you hear like, well, come on, take her out for dinner, go out dancing. It's like, what? When you hear it, I mean, in yeah. a modern movie too, you're like, what? Oh, more a modern movie. Because yeah. an older movie, I can at least, you know, that was kind of like a societal thing where you'd go out and do yeah. ballroom, even swing dancing or, yeah. but to go out and just the two of us look into each other's eyes and salsa dance on a wild dance floor. That's in Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile too. There are scenes where <laughs> he's like it's doing like salsa. Michael Douglas production movies. Got to get that in there. Where's my dancing? <laughs> Dad always wants me to get a, Josh yeah. Fadum has unlocked the Michael Douglas, uh, hilarious comedian Josh Fadum yeah. has unlocked the Michael Douglas impression what? with the word Dad, me yeah. and dad always, yeah. uh, me and dad, dad. Yeah. me and dad. For me, it's that when he leans under the car and says hello to Kathleen Turner and romancing the stone, he goes, hi, <laughs> hi, That's hi. good. Uh, wait, what was I talking about his, uh, uh, oh yeah, that he demands the sweaty dancing on the floor, but, um. Oh, 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 can I tell you um, a personal story about dancing? Um, When Leslie and I first started dating, um, uh, my wife, my now wife, Leslie, when we first started dating, she asked me to go to uh, a Smith's night uh, that the um, satellite bar was doing. Uh, They do like Smith's night, and soul night. And we went to a Smith's night and then uh, went to a soul night. And she was talking about it um, with a, a coworker, her like boss at the time. And she was telling her, Oh, I asked Paul last night to go out to the Smith's night. We went out dancing. And her boss said to her, You got a boy to go out dancing with you? hold on to him <laughs> it was like uh, you're a catch yeah 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 so maybe yeah. deep down in the world there still exists a passion for let's go out dancing my hat's off to you friend i'd love to do it in theory i truly would though i, I love dancing too. the only time i get to do it now is at weddings because yeah. what, what am i be a psycho i don't even know where people would go to dance to do a night of dancing if I wanted to with strangers. On the ceiling? <laughs> In the streets? Mr. Lytle Ritchie? Jeez. Do you realize we almost could have done a full season of Michael Douglas Yuppie Nightmares? 
Yeah. Because kind of War of the Roses. There's yes. the one with Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, the Perfect Murder. Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct. Uh, uh, falling Down. It's more of kind mm. of a middle class yeah. nightmare. But yeah. He wants to be a yuppie in yeah. that movie. Yeah. Um, the Ghost of the Darkness. <laughs> uh, Wall Street is a yuppie nightmare of sorts. Too, yeah. Like, I think. Um, yeah. But, um, and I do think uh, it really does matter that you see a legit attraction and spark between the two of them when they're like hooking up. So well played. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, um, I also just like, these European filmmakers also with the expressionism, like the morning he leaves after they first hook up, it has to be the most soul cleansing sunrise or when she slits her wrists, of course the skies open up and rain outside their bathroom windows. It's like whatever the characters are feeling the world like always will represent how they're feeling. That it's, rain shot is possibly the most eighties shot of any movie I've ever seen. The reason why, because that window's open and it's a flashing red and blue light, which is so eighties already rain and steam somehow. Yes. Oh my God. The other eighties really just like when they're in that elevator which we know that elevator industrial type of elevator in a cool apartment only existed between 1985 and 1989 and then uh when they um when they're having sex in there and there's light and steam and smoke going through the windows and (laughs) grating of the elevator it's like well, of course they're having sex. It's going to look like the sexiest thing. To, the world is going to make sure that it looks sexy or too. Or chicken or the egg. Maybe they weren't even turned on and then they saw that environment and said, we better we, go. we better make it work. I mean, I don't like um, the... I do think the movie is a, you know, it's a romantic and a erotic, uh, sexy. Uh, I don't need shots of actors sucking on nipples. No, 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 no. That is... <laughs> intimacy that is a little too real. Yeah. That's an actual mouth on an actual nipple. <laughs> Don't need that. Don't need that. And it, most people know that. That's you're, why it doesn't show up. You're admonishing me like I've done this somehow. I, I, I I've did, seen the movies you've made. I did 21 not. grams. Oh, nipple suckers. <laughs> nipple suckers four. Uh, I told you about watching 21 grams with my dad. No. We went and saw it in Omaha over like a Christmas I've break in college. That, I don't think. And uh, it's a good movie, yeah. Uh, and me and my dad are driving back. Turns out that's the weight of a nipple. <laughs> <laughs> Not the human soul, but the human nipple. The average human nipple. Um, there's a sex scene in that movie. And, you know, me and my dad watched a sex scene together at a multiplex. So there's that. There's that. But then <laughs> we're driving back and... Uh, <laughs> sort of <laughs> propose nothing. We're driving along. My dad goes... That woman had really long nipples. Huh? <laughs> uh, more like 41 grams. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, do you agree, buddy? 41 grams. Uh, what next, Matt? What next? Well, let's see. Uh, I In my notes, I'm to where she visits him in the office. Yes. Which begs the larger question. Does she no longer work? 
How's she getting her work done during this period? Yeah, yeah, because uh, copy editing uh, the big publishing house seems like that'd be a busy job. But uh, she doesn't seem to have too many friends, so maybe she's got some free time. When uh, she visits him at the office, the shot of her sitting under that portrait is amazing. Yeah, She's in black, and that old man's in black, and they're kind of... Oh, yeah. Ways. One guy going this way, one guy going that guy. <laughs> this guy going, what do you want from me? Uh, it's just a great shot. Love it. I know it's beautiful. I, I mean, everything of this looks like a Folgers commercial or a Jeans yeah. commercial. It's just um, the... Uh, uh, um, I also like when he gets back after having sex with her and he showers. Um there's a quick shot of just him showering alone and the camera kind of just like sneaks up on him. And it did make me think like, you know, psycho and stuff, but yeah. I, it was like, Oh, what's interesting about this as a thriller is usually it's a, it's a lady in distress or it's uh, a lady yeah. in that shower. But now that he's had sex with her, like he's the vulnerable one. Yeah. He's the lady who is in distress. Yeah. Uh, his little lady buns. Yeah. His little lady buns could get hurt. Um, <laughs> uh, he's, he's like the vulnerable one. Uh, um, which I think in a lot of these yuppie nightmare movies that won't be the fixed point. It, no, it will right. a lot of times just keep going back to seeing a lady in distress, but seeing like, little Michael Douglas on his heels. It's better. Um, She says to him, bring the dog. I'm a great cook. Uh Oh, she was already living. Unless you got a bunny. I hope you like bunny stew. (laughs) Yeah. Do you like bunny stew? Well, I am Elmer Fudd. (laughs) Kill the wabbit. Boil the wabbit. (laughs) Um, yeah, the so then Oh, oh, oh. The uh sorry, sorry. When 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 he goes back to the kids with the family, um and they're sitting at the dinner table and they talk about the rabbit. Yeah. This is what reminded that's what I was thinking. I was trying to think of um there's a part where he goes you want a rabbit, a rabbit, rabbit. Now this is like a year before Roger Rabbit. Right. Was it a thing that Roger that rabbits made that sound? Not that I'm aware of. Do you think Robert Zemeckis called up his old romancing the stone friend Michael Douglas and it. said, "Hot tip, I've been shooting this movie and this guy makes a rabbit sound like that." I know you got a rabbit in your movie. You can add this rabbit sound. Please give me some pre-buzz. I'm dying for some pre-buzz. I'm dying for some pre-buzz. <laughs> Robert, you're usually dying for pre-cum. <laughs> what? what? You know I'm dirty, Robert. I'm Michael Douglas. I'm a dirty, dirty man. <laughs> I'm just getting started cinematically in erotic thrillers, man. This one you're about to see ain't nothing. Wait till you get to pucker up down below. <laughs> Nipple suckers. Um, do you think it was that he didn't, Zemeckis didn't like Charles Fleischer's interpretation of Roger Rabbit? And he's like, I got to plant this in the culture subliminally. So that this will make sense. Because otherwise people will be like, Rabbit doesn't make that sound. I'm never going to tell my friend to watch Roger Rabbit. No. Also, I'm not sure. Did I just say subliminal? 
I oh, just pulled the George I, W. Bush. I never say that word because I always can't pronounce it. And when George W. Bush did mispronounce that word, I was secretly like, guys, it's hard to say. Also, how did we ever hit on him for that compared to what was to come? Or even just that Howard Dean at the time. They were oh, like, oh, yeah, of course. He and, shouldn't be hooting and, Dan and hollering. Yeah. And when Taft misspelled. But Taft shat his pants. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Um, but it is, yeah, when she shows up there and it goes from the, all the, um, fixer upper porn of like him being in that attic and being like, this is my den. Yeah. And it's just like peak coziness. And then it goes to her just in a big black leather jacket with like (laughs) eye makeup. This is not cozy. Um, then also that juxtaposition of when they're a happy family and she's just turning off and on the light as the <sighs> slow zoom in that that was amazing a cassette tape of opera Ooh. like running it's so great and her turning that line on and off um i wonder whose idea that was the fred Gwynn thing seems like there was a couple other scenes must have been because right? that is some severely underused Gwynn. I mean, Paramount, he was Paramount's boy. He was in Cotton Club and this and Pet Cemetery. I love Fred Gwynn. I love Fred Gwynn. Well, I mean, I he love pops Fred. up in a movie. It's so reassuring. Yeah. I wish there had been more. You could tell that they were trying for this thing where like, she could disrupt how he's moving up. Mm-hmm. He's upwardly mobile, this young yep. professional. Uh, he could, she could disrupt this, but then it kind of is like, all right, you're, yeah, his A plus in my book, Daniel. In the theatrical version, at least, whatever the end of this movie is, he's still sitting pretty career wise. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and I thought it was kind of distasteful that when Fred Grin walked off the scene, they went, the score went, and he said, I've got to go home and feed Spot. That's good. Hey, Take some of uh, his advice. Feed Spot, Daniel. Out all night, leaving that dog in. Oh, the worst. One of the worst infractions. He should have been, there should have been piles of shit all over that beautiful apartment. Yeah. Um, I do love her perfect white brick loft apartment. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Then couple's dinner at the dinner table. Oh, oh, oh. I was thinking, um, you know, Hitchcock always has that thing of like, uh, a bomb could just go off and you didn't know the bomb was there. That's surprise. But suspense is, you show the bomb is underneath the table. Yeah. Um, I was thinking it's funny that they're at like a dining table, these two couples, because the bomb has been set. Alex could call at any moment now. And then they do have it. Like she calls he picks up, he's looking at her through the glass, trying to, and you as an audience are like, is she calling? Yeah. She has too long of a pause for a moment. Oh, yeah. Your heart stops of like, is she saying her name? Is she speaking at all? Or when they move and he gets the friendly call and he's just so happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's it's really, uh, it's uh, playing all that stuff for such suspense is so great. That um, moving day is so cozy when he's in his hiking mm. boots and parka jacket. He dressed to be cos. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's hip to be cos. So then um, she tells him that uh, uh, she's pregnant and uh, 
I guess, you know, if I don't like in some thrillers is like contrivances. Uh, somebody getting pregnant is uh, not a contrivance. <laughs> it's like a real thing that happens that like makes things difficult. Yeah, it does happen a lot in movies for people having sex for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that in this situation, a lot has to be yeah <laughs> in alignment in that moment for yeah. It's him basically to knock her up. like a two out of thirty chance. Or yeah, one out of fifteen. I know my fractions. Yeah. Um, Although that's not horrible. Until I was married, I had reoccurring anxiety dreams that somebody told me they were pregnant. And I'm like, oh, okay, going to be a father. So like when I see these scenes where she's like saying that, I'm like, sweats. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, just to speak to, um, I mean, Leslie and I were talking about this, you know, with um, the Dobbs decision coming down. and I don't know sometimes how a man who is pro-choice goes about to best support that and to be vocal. Um, uh, but the like, um, the amount of dudes who are silent right now, who have like so benefited in situations like this right. because the woman wants to have an abortion. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey fellas, <laughs> it benefits you too. You see, I, <laughs> I never even had to make the choice. Yeah. 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 Um, but the, um, then the big blow up of after she visits the house and she says, I'm not going to be ignored which seemed to be the big line of this movie yeah, that and the bunny scene, right? Yeah, Seems that's to be the, what I remember too. And I didn't remember until I saw her say that again. Yeah. What do you think that is? Like when a line like that becomes, I mean, for this, it feels like, okay, it's saying the premise of the movie. That's what's appealing or. Yeah. Well, it was either going to be this or she, when she goes, I'm your fatal attraction. <laughs> you know, that attraction you're having right now. It's fatal. It's quite fatal. This is not a, life-sustaining repulsion. <laughs> this is a fatal attraction. Actually, all the movies that we're doing in this series have good opposite titles. He- Pacific Heights is Atlantic Depths. <laughs> Waking with the Allies. The Foot That Rolls the Grave. Waking with the Allies. <laughs> Sorry, what was it? The Foot That Rolls the Grave. <laughs> Keep going. Non-consenting children, which is dark. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Move past that. (laughs) What's the next? Oh, Oh, raising uh, cane. Lowering Abel. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best. Sliver is swath. That one's (laughs) tough, but. Ah! And fear, I guess, is just courage, but they're all there. Did I get them Good. That was real good. We should just refer to those as the titles for now. Yeah. So today we're covering courage. We yeah. don't even like people are like what the foot that rolls the grave. <laughs> um, I do feel like they missed an opportunity for a scare here when they got the bunny. Yeah, could have turned out to be binicula. Could what the bunny could have turned out to be binicula. What's that? <laughs> do you know binicula? I'm, I pronounce it three different ways though. It's like a kid's book about a vampire. Dracula, a rabbit. Dracula. Oh no! I called, didn't. Know. Okay, here, Matt. 
Here I thought I made a previous pudicula joke on the podcast that cracked you up super hard. Well, so when I wrote did. down the no, I obviously did not. <laughs> you didn't even know what that was. When I wrote it down, I was like, that's going to love this. This is going to land so hard with Matt. Well, now it has. <laughs> Can you imagine? Then he gets the pet. He's like, not only did I have to get a pet buddy, and I went, it's a benicula. <laughs> <laughs> it comes really great. It's like a rabbit with like little red eyes and like fangs or something. I don't mean to be gross. Did she, she had to kill the bunny first before boiling it, right? Because you can't just put a bunny in a pot and expect it to stay there. Yeah. And I always misremember it as skinned, like when mm. she lifts it up, because it looks kind of like, it is a little bloodied, I think. Yeah, it is bloody, but it kind of looks like it doesn't have the level of detail that the rest of the movie does, like the yeah. elevator pad. It's just kind of like yeah. red spots on a bu- stuffed bunny and kind of just yeah. plopped in there. Maybe they didn't think they were going to linger on it so long. Yeah, that's true. Or they just, the sight of it would be. Now, in terms of a site that they hope you don't rest your eye on for too long, I saw this a few years ago when I watched Fatal Attraction and I took a picture of it last night because it's really funny. When Michael Douglas comes to Glenn Close's, uh, the actor Michael Douglas comes to the actress Glenn Close's house <laughs> in the movie uh, and uh, they he attacks her. They're both stunt people. Oh, yes, I did see this. And I think I know the exact This stunt shot. man is the most... Gary Shanley, I know Jerry Seinfeld looking motherfucker you have ever seen. Yes, so much so that it, it was so off putting that I was almost convinced that the very next shot, Michael Douglas, they instructed him to make a face imitating that guy, like that doesn't even look like Michael Douglas. Does it was it, so weird. Yeah, and I can post that picture or something yeah. just so, but uh, and I his is so uh, uh, outrageous, you, you don't notice, but hers. Oh, let me see. It's a woman. No, it's oh. hard to see, but in uh, I didn't take a picture. Yeah. But there's one profile shot of her, and it's oh, clearly yeah. leg close. When he, are we to it's that got stage combat, guys? Take a course. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have these shitty stunt people. Especially because that was just like a, a like arm grabbing scene. Yeah. They could have done that. Yeah. Come on. What are you going to say? Sorry. Well, are we to the point where he goes to her apartment then? Uh, yeah. And he, he bu- breaks in. Yeah. Yeah. Until I saw the alternate ending, I read part of that scene differently. And I wonder how much of this was intended. No, if you picked up on this too. When he goes and uh, uh, strangles her. Yeah, but then after that, when she attacks him with the knife, and then he gets the knife from her and backs out, but leaves it on the counter. So it's interesting seeing the alternate ending, knowing that it's, it's landing on that scene and giving it weight because it's going to come back to it later and it's about the fingerprints. Mm. I read it having not seen that scene yet as him leaving it there and the look on her face where he's leaving it there going, I'm leaving this here for you to kill yourself and her kind of going, okay, okay. Almost like a, a Erwin Rommel death in World yeah. War II or, you know, Frankie Pentangeli in The Godfather. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But th- that's probably not what they intended, but it felt that way to me. It's so funny if... um a thing like that doesn't get kind of like answered because they do an alternate ending or something. It's weird than how something can have residue power still. And I still thought there. it was yeah, so powerful, but yeah. it's not really Because for there. me, it set off for me uh, when they're walking back and she's like smiling at him. 
I, I, I had multiple interpretations where I was like, first I thought it was like a thing where she's like, when somebody gets bad attention yeah, and they're kind of like, you can't ignore me. You so can't ignore me. You came over here and strangled me. That's how obsessed yeah, you are with I me. Know, I, like, uh, like that's how uh, up uh, your ass I am. That sure, I can get a reaction yeah. from you like that. Yeah. And uh, so I thought that was, she was smiling to kind of be like, uh, um, but then I also interpreted it as it could be like, oh my God, you didn't kill me. <laughs> yeah. There's still some love there. You didn't kill me. Yeah. Like maybe, are you telling me there's a chance? <laughs> I know. But truthfully, I think all three of those are, if they're there at all, are second to the fact that the original script yep. is she's setting him up there. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. it's so crazy. No, that's not what I meant. But it's just, it is funny when a scene kind of has a residue or a close-up and a thriller has like a residue power. Yeah. Your brain has to go like, well, what did that mean? Because oh, can you think of any example where a, a movie is gearing towards a twist and they cut the twist and reshoot it? Damn, yeah. To not have a twist. I mean, it has a jump scare, but not a twist. God, you're right. Yeah, because that could you could think you'd really start seeing a lot of the stitching. Yeah, but it's pretty clean because she, she they focus on that knife, and now you know looking back that the look on her face is I got you. I'm going to kill myself and take you down with. Yeah, me. she knows it. Yeah, yeah. That's how the scene when then you'd rewatch the movie and you knew her scheme at the end. You'd go, oh, she's already had it figured out in the yeah. scene. Yeah, wow. I mean, also, I guess, is a testament to like what I was saying about those actors, how they sell so many things with expressions and eyes and just have this like control over yeah. their body and face in a really incredible way that like with Glenn Close's performance, you can have interpretations like that. You can yeah. have a very like um, the uh, um, I mean, the fact that this movie like was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director and two nominees, acting nominees. And if Michael Douglas hadn't been nominated for Wall Street, he would have probably been nominated for this. Wow. And it was only $14 million, the budget. That is like what I imagine every studio had dreams of, which is like, yeah. it cost $14 million and it made $288 million. Didn't it make over $300 million? Oh, wow. 150 some domestically, but internationally, I think over 300 And uh, makes me proud of Hollywood. Yeah. This is like relatively dark thriller about uncomfortable things people don't like thinking about or talking about. And uh, it's just like a top of your intelligence um, thriller. Like yeah. there's no point where you're like, they're dumbing it down. This person is acting like, I think it's so, f I wish every thriller had a card in their back pocket like this. Or in the last 20 minutes, he tells her, I had an affair. She's saying she's pregnant. Cause you'd go in any other, you'd go like, well, what's the movie now? Yeah. What's the tension here? But then they do that so they can ratchet up the tension in a different yeah. way, which is like, she does know. And now Glenn Close has to ratchet up more by stealing their kid. Yeah. And, yeah. Presumed innocent is about the only one I can think of where he kind of. Do they confesses. change the ending? Oh. No, he confesses, you know, but it's a different kind of ratcheting from then on out. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, but even if it's like a thriller about like um, 
snake eyes or something that somebody could like blow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, that movie does. So that's a bad example. But uh, um, you mentioned a jump scare, though. I love the jump scare in this when he's listening to the tape. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, because that's like a true life jump scare that yeah. happens all the time between people who right. are very intimate. It's like, yeah. hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, but I thought when she made that little mixtape um, of her talking, she could have put in some like romantic songs out there. Just little cute songs that's like, this one reminds me of you. Or just different (laughs) crazy tirades. Like one that is just about pasta. (laughs) Oh, it's a mixtape of (laughs) manifestos. Yeah. Um, The, um, we got to come up with a word for this scene. Um, Because it's going to happen, I bet, in every single one of these movies where the protagonist goes to the authorities and goes, you can't do anything. Yeah. They're bump-a-dimp-a-doop-a-doo. Yeah. Sorry, our hands are tied. Yeah. You're going to have to catch them in the act if you want that to get, get you <laughs> yeah. know. Love it. Love those yeah. scenes. What would you call that? The uh, early alert or like early warning or cry for help or. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, um, cry for help is good. Yeah. Uh, and, and just, I love bureaucratic red tape. Yeah. Like, yeah, she stole your kid from you and cooked your rabbit. Up know, cop, we can't really do anything about it. This cop, like, look, we all know broads is crazy, but my hands are tied. If it were me, I was your friend, man, to men. Sure. Buster kneecaps, but I got to follow these rules. Well, you realize how that, um, that second coffee scene must have been an additional scene too, because yeah, it's yeah. him going like, and I will say in that scene is where I felt some seams because mm-hmm. if you wrote, if you sat down and wrote the script, you wouldn't have her invade the house by putting the bunny in the pot. You'd save the final, like she came into the house to do the final. It, 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 it is like, kind of like, a little bit like, so I'm going to go home, but I'll have a gun to protect myself if she happens to show up and I'm going to pick my wife up at the hospital on the way home. It's just, yeah. it feels a little bit like trying to set the tracks it's, it's to sort of take like you home. <laughs> Don Mancini structure in a way, you know. <laughs> Mancini. Um, I think that's it. Um, well, I have. Is Oh, tell me. Yes, please. Did this, I'm sure this isn't the first to do the medicine cabinet mirror scare, but it certainly from here on out was fair game. I know it kind of is like at that point when she, before she kicks the mist, you think it's going to be a fake out. Yeah. You're like I've seen this so much. Could yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that it wasn't done with the shutting, but the yes, wiping, the wiping, the which, slow reveal. which, uh, Hey, that takes work on a set to make a mirror steam up. Yeah. And, right. Like, would, Yeah. Um, I remember in, uh, I worked on something that like, um, I needed to breathe on a window to then be write something on the window and they had to cool or heat the window right before the take started so that my breath would, and I was like, Oh, Hollywood wizardry. I love that stuff. That is cool. Um, the, uh, Oh, this movie also has. It's, you can't do it anymore with the smartphones, 
the suspense of a phone ringing and not knowing who it's going to be. Know. There's so many times you're like, is this Glenn Close? Oh no, it's just Michael Douglas. Yeah. Or, oh no, 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 no. It's going to be, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Or, or whew, it's just going to be Michael Douglas calling. It's Glenn Close. Yeah. yeah. Um, the um, fruit roll-ups, the kid eats one, Michael Douglas eats one while his wife is getting attacked. <laughs> yeah, right. He pulls like a little fruit roll-up, throws it in his mouth. Um, if this movie's about how dare you invade cozy things, the anxiety of such a cozy school being messed with when the mom shows up at the school. Oh yeah. Dark. That's the perfect like little new England school that know. every kid wishes they could yeah. get abducted from. <laughs> um, him in the doghouse with the in-laws. Um, Solid squib. Solid shot. Solid shot. Solid squib. Not an easy squib to pull off on such thin material on a hard surface of the body. With the, the white dress where stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can see the rig under there, mm. but admirable, admirable placement. Does the eye have enough time to see it or do they kind of have it quick? Well, there? they edit to it popping. So you, and I think that's probably on purpose because you would have definitely seen it before. But even when she falls down, you can see kind Still. of the like attachment of the backing to the cloth or whatever. But nothing like Maximum Overdrive. I mean, it was pretty, pretty <laughs> I mean, solid. The casting good actors for stuff like that, like um, to pull off a trick, when she gets strangled oh. and she goes and starts turning on a faucet and just like putting water in her mouth, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, Glenn Close did her work, her oh, actor yeah. work. I'm like, this is why we make fun of actors for being kooky, but they care. Yeah. The When he, then she comes at with him, with a knife that's bigger than anything in Halloween I know. or Psycho I know. or Dress to Kill. It is the most giant carving knife. <laughs> the reason that worked is because there was a little misdupe, right? You think she's so fucking busy with getting water yeah, in her mouth yeah. at the faucet? You're like, who cares about her? Yeah. She's dealing with that faucet. Out of nowhere, she goes out with this knife? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, solid movie. Um, and then, uh, oh, I don't know if you noticed this. Before she shows up, He's tucking in Ellen into the bed. Daniel is Michael Douglas says. He goes, feel good in there. Good. Y'all cozy. Oh. He says, you all cozy. Yes. Cozy. Yes, cozy. Michael, we are. But hey, if there's 10 minutes left in a movie, you don't start drawing a bath. That's a no-no. No. If you start no. drawing a bath with 10 minutes left in a movie, something bad is going to go down. Someone's drowning. Uh, fake drowning. Um, and it's all silent before she shows up oh, in the mirror. Yeah. Everything's quiet, which is like really cool. Cause you're like, they must not have, well, they wouldn't be sticking around with this family for this much longer. Yeah. If she was, the threat was really taken yeah. care of. Poor house getting flooded. Oh, I don't like it with blood water, blood water alone. Oh. Um, and yeah, I, I understand the, um, the like uh, people feeling like, oh, this is a little weird that it's like psycho crazy woman gets killed by the domesticated woman. This is how you should live your life, people. Or or this is how things should be. Um, and also just the idea of like, you know, when he was having sex with her in the sink, presumably without a condom, it's like, dude, this is 1987 New York. This is its own 
a fatal attraction. Like yeah. you're like it does feel a little bit like in the movie. This whole thing is kind of like if you're a dude and you're going around putting your dick in people, that's dangerous, man. You're that's putting everybody people, at risk with this attitude. Brantley wrote in the notes that at the time there was a sort of perceived allegory to the AIDS crisis with this. If it's like, if you're promiscuous, this is the danger you're going to face. But since it was based on the script from 79. But not to hit on the, I mean, that's what the Friday 13th movies yeah. became. People were saying like, yeah. oh, sex equals death. You, right. you fuck, you die. Like that's, I guess, like what, if these are continuations of the Friday the 13th movies, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah. Hey, don't mess around. Don't fool around. No, you get yeah. caught. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I do think the movie isn't as simplistic as that. I think it is like no. more sophisticated. That, I agree. And also not the movie doesn't judge its characters. Right. I, I think very successfully because no one's a victim going into this. She knows he's married. Mm -hmm. He's married. He's making a mistake. She's part of that problem, not blaming her. Mm -hmm. So when she starts to really unravel at the end, I do feel a lot of pity for her, not because she's being jilted by him, but because she's dealing with severe mental illness yeah. that she can't separate. And so you pity her as someone like really suffering from that stuff. And then to the point where she becomes... A murderer. Yeah, but no, when he's throwing around her, her in the apartment, it's a weird moment because I'm like, fuck yes, this person has been pushing you around. Time to fight back, man. But I'm also caught in this bind of forget, you know, or of course, like a man's beating up a woman. I, uh, but then I take a step back and I go, dude, she's got her reasons. And like anytime. Oh, yeah a movie where my relationship to the character isn't heroes and villains, but everybody has their reasons. I enjoy that experience at a movie way more. And for, so this like psychological thriller to have that kind of sophistication. I think when a movie ends like that, it's like, yeah, cause it's a satisfying ending. Yeah. When he's beating her up, I, I didn't like it. And I don't mean that in any kind of white knighting sort of no, beating up a woman. I was just like, well, you dude, you brought this on. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying obviously he didn't deserve what she's doing. They, they thought they had an understanding, but you're fighting your anger at losing your family because you fucked up. Not really what this woman's. Yeah. She's put it all on the table. So your solution is not to go beat her up; is to tell your wife and get everything out in the open. I mean, all this is because of his decision. Yeah, yeah, really, it is. There's no point where yeah. it's like, "Ah, oh, dude, I'm sorry, you're right. You did get sh the shitty end of the stick." It's like all points lead to. <clears throat> I mean, when we were talking about um, my wife and I were watching something, and um, so. Somebody who is the head of a, uh, it was a documentary. It wasn't Harvey Weinstein, but it was someone like that who got caught cheating mm. and it fucked up everything. And uh, listen, I were talking about it. It's like um, empires, both great and small, just either. Napoleon's or whatever, Clintons, or, or yeah. somebody's own personal Clintons yeah. or somebody's own little personal empire that they built for themselves in their life. Like really the only thing that ever messes it up 
is a dude's dick. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, so the fact that like pretty much every movie ever story ever told should be about that. <laughs> like, I know. Um, Peter Bogdanovich said something. I struggle with whether it's like sexist, but I do think there's like something. He's like complications between men and women coming out of the fact that like men don't know themselves. The women they're with know, understand the men in a way better than the man could understand himself because he either lacks the tools of like emotional grasping or you're wrapped up in your own shit. I believe that my partner understands me as a man better than I could probably understand my weird, whatever's inside me. Right. Mm -hmm. Peter Bogdanovich is like, then the final step of that is like, man doesn't really fully understand himself. His partner understands him better than her. Uh, but then she's left holding the tab going like, but wait, he's in control. Mm. Wait, he's calling the shots. What the fuck is up with this? Like that does seem to kind of be the blind of fatal attraction. It's like, he's making mistakes that are unconscious and he's a boob. <laughs> And then Ann Archer is the person who's kind of left to be like, I know your number. I know the number. I'm going to forgive you. But it still means a psychopath comes in and yeah. I have to kill her. Like yeah. it does feel like a very like heightened version of the story of adultery in a, yeah. in a family or something. But yeah. anyway, huh. very That's cool. Fascinating. Well, yeah. should we read some Xenomorphs and yes. then do a rating? I was thinking, do we, I don't know if we need best kill for this season. You know how we lost the peep break and Bradley and Terrence. Oh yeah. 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 I don't yeah. Know, I mean, yeah, no, I think just a, going close is all you get in this or yeah, a Volvo. Just a, yeah. An acidy Volvo. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I agree. Yeah. If we just stick with the ratings, right. Yeah. One to 13. So these are the xenomorphs that were so kind to, uh, Subscribe at Yay, that level. And you if guys. you are a xenomorph, email us at with and rust at gmail.com and let us, Excuse me. Let us know. We'll read your name on the podcast. Um, and, you know, if you can, just a headline that says your name and that you're a xenomorph, because now these messages are getting so long and I, I, there's so many of them here yeah. today. I don't know that we can sure. go through all the requests. So apologies on that. But Zach Glenn, DJ Apple, Larry Apple. I wonder if that's, if those are the a Apple brothers. Christopher Krieger. Chris Harriman, Tony Harris, Marcus Lochner, Sarah Petrick, Brian Mensick, Theodore Schmidt, and Cody Five Points Pizza. <laughs> Cody Huff, Huffine. Cody Huffine. Okay. Hey, thank you guys. Thanks so much. All right. Out of 13. Hmm. 13. Thir you're going 13? Yeah, baby. Wow. I love it. I'm going to go. Oh, fuck it. I'm doing 13 too. Hey, all right. Yeah. I, it's hard to find a misstep. Uh... Yeah, I agree. I really agree. That was a satisfying, good, thrilling. I never thought about my phone. Mm -hmm. I was just watching this movie. Yeah, I know. Once it gets you in the vice, it keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And I have to thank you because I think I don't know that I would have picked that for this season because I think I was thinking 
I, I think in my back of my mind, I always have this mixed up with basic instinct or they're mixed together mm-hmm. in some way where I still, I enjoy basic instinct too, but this is the good version of the, the schlockier version of basic instinct is. Yeah. You this know. version. Yeah. It's way more humanist yeah. or something like the basic instinct is so like, he's such a fucking turd. Yeah. 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 Uh, what does she say to him at one point? She goes, you ever fuck on cocaine? Oh God. <laughs> that line would never be in our dear, dear, no, dear fatal attraction. No, I don't even like that. I was said it so close to the end of our dear, dear podcast. Oh, don't worry about it. Well, we're back next week. Yeah. Pacific Heights. Yes. And like we said, this movie, what you said, $300 million plus. Anytime a movie makes that much money for that such low cost, Hollywood, we get 10 good years of them yep. going back to that. And then, so that's what we God. get. We yep. get now uh, 10 good years of them trying to get that money, All get right. that fatal attraction money. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review With Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.